0: It's time once again for an all new episode of View the Right Thing. This week Wes and Steve kick things off by discussing the Oscar winner All About Eve.
1: Fasten your seat belts. It's going to be a bumpy night.
0: Round 2 has the boys going toe to toe with Billy Wilder's classic crime noir Double Indemnity.
1: There's something wrong with the Dietrichson case. Why? Because he didn't file a claim. Maybe he just didn't have time. Maybe he just didn't know that he was insured.
0: We now interrupt Wes and Steve's Manny Petty appointment to bring you this installment of View the Right Thing. Let's
1: all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all
0: go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.
2: Hey, everybody, it's another episode of Indiana Jones. Come on. View the Right Thing.
0: <laughs> View the Right Thing, starring Wes Weizenhofer and Steve Moulton. Yeah. I bet cool. Dwayne already said that in the fun introduction. Probably. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he's, he's pretty on top of things. Sweet. Love those intros. So, uh... What did we watch this it's week, been a, Wes? It's been a
0: couple weeks. We watched All About Eve. Oh, yes. And we
2: watched... Double Indemnity.
0: Double Indemnity and All About Eve. Not All About Steve. Totally different movie. Yeah. Almost 100% different.
2: But still about actors. And you're an actor. Is All About Steve about actors? I mean... So,
0: nah, let's not go into All About Steve. Okay, fair It's enough. been covered.
2: Fair enough. So uh, so we'll do this podcast. Um, it's pretty much run of the mill and then at the end we're going to draw two new movies and they will be th- our october films
1: yeah that's right
2: and uh
0: watch four special movies for october yeah
2: so we'll draw the first two at the end of the podcast yes and
0: uh yeah
2: in october we'll have some some surprises maybe a <laughs> special guest <laughs> interview or something we'll see we'll see how things go
0: uh have you been to the movies lately?
2: I have been to the movie theater lately. I have not seen a film in the theater. I saw you. I know. I saw um, Doctor Who in the theater. Oh, yeah. So she really shouldn't get into because it's not a TV podcast. We said we weren't going to talk about TV. This is not
1: a TV. But podcast. it was
2: Doctor Who in 3D, and I, I had a lot of fun, and uh, was very happy with the the episodes we watched.
1: All
0: right, all right.
2: The opening is super cool in 3D.
0: You and. Uh... Daniel didn't go see a movie yesterday?
2: We did not go see a movie yesterday. We watched a movie here at the house.
0: Oh, what'd you watch? We
2: watched uh, Biloxi Blues, one of my favorite Matthew Broderick, Christopher Walken movies. Uh, It's uh, based on a play by Neil Simon.
0: Yeah, the story of good old uh, Eugene... uh, Eugene Morris Jerome. Morris Jerome. um, the last name is Jerome? Yeah,
2: last name is Jerome.
0: I see. So uh,
2: Yeah, so he had never seen that film, and I had been wanting to show it to him for quite a while. I showed him Brighton Beach Memoirs, which is the first part of that trilogy, Yeah, um, like a month or two ago. Wait, what's the third part? So the third part, so it's a trilogy of plays. I don't know if the third play has ever been made into a movie. That's something I should look up. So you got Brighton uh,
0: Beach Memoirs, whoa, mm -hmm. about growing up in Brighton Beach, Mm -hmm. Biloxi Blues, about joining the military. Yep. And then
2: Broadway Bound,
0: because it's it's about Neil Simon's life. Sure.
2: So, uh, you know, he becomes a writer and a playwright, so...
0: Broadway bound. Broadway bound. Certainly that's a movie.
2: I mean, I've read the play. I've never seen the play.
0: It's got to be a movie. I was in Brighton Beach Memoirs. That's right. Did you play Eugene? I played Eugene M. Jerome. Did you get to say the line about um, secretly lusting after your cousin?
2: There were a lot of lines about secretly lusting after...
0: Well, okay. uh,
2: Like, I dropped my napkin under the table so
0: I can... (laughs) Oh, Eugene.
2: Yeah. Broadway Bound. Golden, Broadway-bound Golden TV Palace movie. of the of the Himalayas is what he's looking for.
0: Broadway Bound TV movie 1992. Interesting. Eugene and Stanley Jerome looked like Corey Parker of the movie How I Got into College played Eugene and Ann Bancroft played Kate Jerome. Okay. Anyway, we're mother. not here to talk about that. We didn't watch it yet. What were you going to say? Oh, uh, I have no idea what
2: I was going to say just now. So, I awesome. went to a movie. Yeah, what would you go see?
0: I saw Legend oh, starring yeah. Tom Hardy. And Emily Tom Hardy. Emily Browning and Tom Hardy. Yeah. As the twin mafiosos, the legendary Cray Brothers of London, England. And uh, it was pretty cool. I would like to see that. I've got to admit, uh, Emily Browning was good, but sometimes... I got a little more excited about seeing uh, either of the Cray brothers uh, with their really sexy car more so than I did when uh, Tom Hardy as Reggie Cray would be courting his uh, girlfriend-slash-wife, Francis. Um, The cars were great. 60s England cars. Pretty sexy stuff. Mm -hmm. The movie's good. Um, It's funny. It's extremely violent a few times. And uh, it's a pretty cool story. I had never seen the early 90s movie about the craze called The Craze, starring uh, the dude from Spandau Ballet, uh, who was also in Embrace of the Vampire with, what's her name, Alyssa Milano.
2: I've not seen any of those films. Embrace uh, of the Vampire. You've
0: seen Embrace of the Vampire.
2: Never seen Embrace of the Vampire. Don't know anything about it.
0: What year did you turn 15 years old?
2: Don't ask me questions like that. All right. I well, don't. my point is if you, were a,
0: if you were a teenager anywhere in the 90s, you've seen Embrace of the Vampire. If you were a male teenager in the 90s, I haven't seen you've seen Embrace of the Vampire. Embri- well, we won't go into it. We don't need to watch it. That's for sure. We, we should add it to the bucket apparently. <laughs> no, we should not. All right. But uh, Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll
2: have a, a separate bucket for um, teenage lust. <laughs> for
0: horny teenager movies. We don't need to do that at all. We don't need to do that at all. Alyssa Milano, huh? Alyssa Milano, so, Charlotte Lewis, and, uh... So it's a...
2: It's like a... band out Spandau by Life. It, it's like a sexy
0: movie? Yeah. It's like she's a college student. She meets mm-hmm. a vampire. Meets a vampire. She meets a mm-hmm. vampire. And, uh, let me tell you, he meets her. Whoa. Whoa!
2: So it's so... It's kind of part of the age of, like, Poison Ivy.
0: Yeah, around yeah. there. You know, she was trying to break away from being Samantha Maselli and, uh... That sort of thing. Yeah. And, uh... Some very artfully done uh, scenes take place. Mm. All right. Some of which don't involve shirts, I guess you could say. Okay. That seems to be the most PG way to say it. Okay. Let's talk about... Some movies? Some other movies? Some movies. Probably the two that we watched.
2: Actually, before we do that... Oh, yes. Let me say one other thing. Uh, so, I know this guy named Jared Finn... Jared ...who Finn. has uh, a, a YouTube channel... And he invited me on to his YouTube channel this last this week actually, and did an interview with me about movies and a little bit about our podcast. And so I just nice. wanted to say thank you to Jared for inviting me. It was a lot of fun, and I would absolutely go and talk more about movies anytime he wanted. There was probably a lot more that we could have. We, we tried to, He kept cutting me off. He kept going. You know. Oh. This is. Not supposed to last this long. Oh. It ended up being an hour and 20 minutes. So. Um, that's, a,
0: that's as long as a movie itself.
2: View the right thing strikes again. Yeah. So, yeah. But, anyways, thank you to Jared. Thanks, Jared. So, appreciate it. Check that out. It's
0: on YouTube.
2: Creative Corner.
0: Look for Creative Corner with Jared Finn. Finn with two N's.
2: Finn with two N's. J A R R O D F I N N. r o d, f will I'll see about putting uh, maybe a.
0: I actually just tweeted a link about it a few hours ago, and so if you're following Stephen No Howood or Movie Hippo, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. You're good like that. Tweet at us just for fun.
2: Yeah, we like that. I, like, I love it. I, we had a little bit of a battle with a droid yesterday
0: on Twitter. That's true. Uh, what I mean, he's it's Indiana joke R two D two. He's yeah. some sort of Twitter ne'er do well, mm-hmm. and he insulted us. He called us clowns. Yeah. And uh, so we fired back a a couple of pretty good ones. I I, I gotta say, yeah. I haven't heard from him in a while, though.
2: Not since yesterday. Maybe maybe those Jawas I sent got him.
0: Oh, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, Jawas.
2: Okay, let's. Now we can get to. Should we dig into all All
0: about Eve?
2: Yeah. So this is a movie starring Betty
0: Davis. And. And Baxter. You know what she's got? Eyes. Whose eyes? Betty Davis' eyes? That's correct. <laughs> All right. All the boys think she's a spy. I never understood that line. I think Kim Carnes just needed something to rhyme with mm-hmm. eyes.
2: Yeah. I actually found her eyes unsettling. Yeah? They're, like, bulgy and baggy. <sighs>
0: maybe, it's because
2: she was, maybe it's because she was, like, 40 by the time she, she made
0: this. She was... Easily into her forties by the time this movie was made, and also I think I read she was she like forty one. Smokes, so she's she's yeah. helping her aging process along. Yeah, I just think she has very like tired kind of bedroom eyes all the yeah. time. You know, her her lids hang kind of low, and it's like she's always just about to doze off. That but in but kind in kind of a, of a sexy way,
2: it is kind of a smoker thing, huh? what people have like really baggy eyes. Yeah. Just- All the time. I I have really baggy eyes
0: all the time because I was raised by smokers. Yeah, I don't
2: think you have that baggy of eyes. Oh, well, thank you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I I think you're just being nice. No, 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 not at all. I think you're just being nice.
2: So this is a uh, black and white film. So I was worried about Steve a little bit. I had actually seen this film before and I enjoyed it more now than when I was, I don't know, like 13 or 14 when I saw it the first time.
0: That makes sense. Yeah.
2: I appreciated more about it. Um, This this film came out the same year as Sunset Boulevard. Oh, really? And this was the movie that um, Gloria Swanson, knew. she was nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah. And Betty Davis was nominated for an Academy Award. And I think Ann Baxter was nominated for an Academy Award for this. And because of all of that, remember, we talked about this Judy Holiday won the Academy Award during the Sunset right. Boulevard. And we were like, who's Judy Holliday? And the, the talk was that Betty Davis didn't win it. And Gloria Swanson didn't win it because they essentially canceled each other out.
1: Wow. They
2: were like sort of two heavyweights. And so they they split their votes and Gave Judy Holiday you. ended up.
0: Judy Holliday. So this Judy, is, Judy, Judy, Judy.
2: Yeah, this is that other film. This is a, uh, I think this film has the record for the most Academy Award nominated actresses. Holy shnikes. In it. Um, and it is, it was the first film and held the, this record for a long time. To be nominated for 14 Academy Awards, which didn't get matched until Titanic came out.
0: Good night. 14.
2: 14 Academy Awards.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's uh, impressive.
2: Yeah, it's very, 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 very impressive.
0: That's a whole lot of noms.
2: Yep. It, It won six. Wow. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Actor. How many was that? Was that six? Two... Three. That's at
0: least four. four.
2: Yeah, I'm not quite sure what's what's going on there. Um. But yeah, so
0: there you have it, all about Eve, and the Oscar goes to Steve, Judy Holiday. What?
2: What? Oh, I was saying. The Oscar oh, you were goes
0: saying to... the Oscar goes to me. Yeah,
2: Aww. I'm rooting for you. So the film is it starts. I guess would be considered present day at the time at an awards banquet. Right. It sort of starts at the end, doesn't it? it? Starts at the end of the movie, but it would be present day and then the movie's told in flashback because we get a narration yeah. from Addison, who is this critic, this theater critic.
0: Yes. The and theater critic.
2: The theater critic. He's, You know, he's kind of like a, you know, he, he struck me kind of as a Perez Hilton. Kind oh, really? Of, kind, of, I mean, that's sort of like the modern day equivalent because Interesting. he's because he dealt in gossip as yeah. well as reviews. So yeah, he's and, got dirt
0: on everyone.
2: Yeah. And he could kind of make or break people like careers. Uh, so there's this award going and uh, going on this yeah. award ceremony. They're giving away this uh, achievement for actress. And uh, it's going to Eve Harrington.
0: Eve Harrington. Played by Ann Baxter. Played
2: by Ann Baxter, um, who we don't initially see uh, in the opening scene. She's she's certainly obscured, and but we get to see uh, Margot, played by Betty Davis. We get to see um, Bill, who is Margot's boyfriend mm-hmm. throughout most of the film. We get to see the writer who wrote the play and that man's wife, and so on and. Um, they have awards at their Whoa. table in front of them right, and addison is talking about how this um the story that he 's about to launch into is about Margot and all these other people, but really it's it 's really all about eve
0: right because eve is uh most certainly the what would you call her the catalyst the
2: she 's certainly a catalyst.
0: Yeah. puppet master, almost? Yeah. And she's Maybe. super
2: young, and she's, she's sort of this ingenue, but she, she's a rising star, and that's kind of the what he's getting to. He wants to tell how she had this meteoric rise.
0: How did she have this meteoric rise?
2: So it flashes back.
0: To a rainy night. Yes. On Broadway.
2: Outside the theater. So um, Margot Channing is in this play. Right. Called... Uh, aged in wood aged 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 in wood or was it just aged wood, pretty sure it was aged in wood oh was it okay uh I thought it was aged wood, and I thought that's kind of a funny title because it's kind of mean well margot is playing this this character that's much younger than than what she is she's playing a right. character like in her twenties yeah uh and she's talks about how she's forty, and so this idea to me that this aged wood title was kind of clever to me.
0: Fortunately, it was aged in wood, like uh, whiskey or uh, other yeah. things aged in barrels. Yeah. What happens outside that theater? Well, Karen, her friend Karen... Yes. Um, pulls up
2: in a cab, and she meets this young girl out in the rain, kind of in the alley, like towards the uh, actor's entrance to In the a theater. frumpy
0: coat and a funny hat.
2: And a funny hat. And... They have this discussion about how, she, how Eve, as yes. the woman she's meeting, has seen every single showing of this play. Yeah. And she's this huge Margot Channing fan. Right. And so Karen's like, well, she's my friend. You should come in and meet her. And, and Eve's like, no, 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 I couldn't possibly blah, blah, blah. be an imposition and I'd be too nervous and yada, yada, yada. And, um... Karen convinces her to come in anyways. And so she has her kind of wait outside the the, the dressing room. And right. Karen goes in and Eve's in there with her friend, Bertie.
0: Yeah, her friend slash sort of... Kind of
2: assistant maid yeah. kind of thing. She does a lot of stuff around her house and whatnot. As well as the writer of the play, who is Karen's husband. husband. Right. And right away, we get a pretty good feeling for who Margot is. She's sort of like complaining about having just turned 40 and, um, you know, whether this playing these younger characters is going to do anything for her career and all this, you know, this uncertainty about about what what her future is. Right. And obviously she's well received and she's got people doting around her and she's definitely a diva.
0: She's basically the biggest star Broadway has. Right. At the time.
2: And it's it's kind of funny because um, Joseph Minkowitz, the, the director of the film, yes. gave Betty Davis this description for her character. And she has this mink coat that she wears throughout the the thing, right. that, the show, the movie. And he tells her that Margot treats the mink coat like a poncho. Hmm. When you think about that, especially for like how expensive that stuff was back then... That gives you a really good feeling of sort of how this woman carries herself. Yeah. And how she treats other people around her as well. Which is
0: somewhat unkind.
2: Yeah. yeah. So eventually they bring Eve in and uh, Margot sort of recognizes her because she sees her outside right. all the time. And... um They they sort of begin this like doting fan slash celebrity relationship. Yeah. And uh, in comes eventually comes Eve's boyfriend.
0: Is he your boyfriend or a husband? Boyfriend. He is only a boyfriend.
2: He is only a boyfriend because later he asks her to marry him again. but we'll we'll get to that man i'm having a hard time like just going through this this plot line
0: it's just rush who cares what we skip who cares what we say the movie's been around twice as long as we've been here Mm -hmm. chances are if you're listening you watched it let's just have fun with it baby
2: yeah so so margo Margot is on her last theatrical tour and that's kind of what um where Eve kind of comes into this. She says she sees the play in San Francisco and followed her to New York. She didn't really have any money or really a place to stay. Right. And, uh, and she's just dealing with, um, she gets by basically they're like, well, how can you afford to come see every show? And she's like, I just, I manage because it's important to me.
0: She says something about standing room tickets.
2: Yeah. So Eve, so her, um, Bertie gets essentially told Bertie, the assistant friend gets told to go do stuff in the bathroom because she's kind of got a bad attitude immediately about Eve and Karen and her husband leave the room and they were kind of like, we're going to leave you two together so you can get to know each other, blah, 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 blah. And Which e- is kind of strange. Yeah, and Eve says, um, how about, uh, how about you and I go take my boyfriend to the airport? Oh, right. Bill's and drop him to, off. Uh, he's he's got to fly to Hollywood. He's got to go to Hollywood. And then we'll go have dinner and get to know each other. And Eve eventually, ultimately says yes. So, um,. The boyfriend comes in, uh Hugh, I believe is his name. And... uh Wait, Hugh? Wait, I'm sorry. Eve's boyfriend was Lloyd.
0: Bill, wasn't it? Wait, I
2: don't know. I'm so confused by these characters. He was characters. Bill,
0: the guy who looks like Harrison Ford. Bill.
2: Fair enough. Hugh? Who the heck is Hugh? Hugh. I'm sorry. Lloyd. I was thinking when I said Hugh, that's his real name. He's Lloyd. Real, okay. And that is the... Um, the playwright, Lloyd, is the playwright. Yes, it's very confusing. Karen's husband, Karen's husband,
0: is Lloyd, the playwright.
2: So Bill comes in and he kind of gives um, gives Eve a little bit of crap, like "You're killing me, you know, lady." Blah blah blah, and um, you kind of almost don't like him initially. Yeah, <laughs> I but I
0: think I think he can sort of see that Eve's going to be a hanger on, right? mm-hmm. and and, and hanger ons are problems,
2: right? Uh, so Eve excuses herself to the bathroom to freshen up and shower. Yeah. Which leaves Bill and Eve together. And she kind of questions why he needs to go to Hollywood. Because isn't the theater, like, the place to be? Yeah. And he, and Bill kind of goes on this, this rant about the theater. And essentially says, like, this, this is typical this is like how stuck up theater people are yeah but everything is theater right you know movies are theater music is theater it's all theater so um he sort of he sort of defends himself in this way, in this manner and it, and it kind of struck me as the writer of a film yeah sort of like getting something off their chest
0: yeah i can understand that for yeah. sure
2: so they go and take Bill to the airport. Yep, and he's like, "I'll take care of the bags." Do
0: you think they took him to JFK?
2: I don't. I don't know. Huh. Sure, why not? What? What? JFK
0: if, hadn't been president by then. Oh yeah, yeah. He good wouldn't point. Have an airport, Wes. Yeah,
2: good point. Uh, I wasn't thinking about that. I. I'm just trying. I'm so. I'm just trying to stay focused on what the plot is because my brain is not working today.
0: Well. So. Just charge, man. So they take him to the, to the
2: airport, and he's like, "Ah, oh, I'll deal with the bags. You guys go have a moment together." Yeah, and uh, just as they're about to kiss each other, Eve and Bill, even
0: Bill, not even Margot. No, no, Margot, Mar- Margot and Bill. Thank right. you. Right. The I, movie's called All About Eve. I you know. think? Yeah, I get it.
2: So, just as they're about to kiss each other, Eve shows up and says, oh, "It's all done," and kind of interrupts the whole thing. Yep. And then uh, Margot says goodbye. They do finally kiss. Mm-hmm. And then we learn that Margot and Eve go off. They hit it off. And um, she makes Eve her assistant. Right. And gives her a place to live in her home.
0: In her own
2: home. And Eve goes all out. Yeah. So much so that she's answering the phone and um a, she places that phone call she arranges for a phone call with the operator right in the middle of the night
0: yeah well the operator says midnight los angeles time which means, which three. means yeah three o'clock
2: yep and so uh margo gets a phone call in the middle of the At night 3 a.m she picks it up and the operator says i have the phone you know i have the phone call you asked me to place ready for you.
0: Which is crazy she's, that that service ever existed. Yeah.
2: And she's super confused, but it, the call goes through and she starts talking to Bill and he's like, seems really grateful and tells her that he'll be home soon and so on. And so, and the movie's going well. And then it dawns on her, he's like, you know, say it for me. And she's like, say what? And he's like, you know what I want you to say, say it. And then she realizes, oh, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Oh yeah. So, She finds out that Eve had set this up, but whoops, Eve forgot to tell her that this is going on. Meanwhile, Bertie is becoming more and more skeptical. And Margot asks Bertie, she says, you don't like Eve, do you? And Bertie basically suggests that maybe Eve is a little bit too hands-on. Right. And that she's seen how someone can take over someone else's life before. And so then Margot starts to become paranoid. Right. Uh one night at the theater after a performance that of course Eve was watching from the wings. Yeah. Margot's in her dressing room and Eve asks if she can take the costume back to the costume mistress. Right. And Margot says, yeah, of course. Go ahead. And Bertie comes out, and Bertie says, look, there's unions here. Right. And if you take a, you know, they have to do all the things in their jobs to be in the union. Yeah. And if you take away the job, which is coming to pick up the costume, not a whole lot a costume person does at this point. Right. Um, if, if they can't come pick up the costume, you're taking away their job, and they're not going to take kindly to it. So, right. Margaret's like, oh, you're right. So, she goes out to go stop Eve, and she sees Eve. trying. Yeah, holding it up, but kind of like trying it on and doing like with little it. curtsies and, yeah. and things to a uh, mirror, and there's seats beyond that.
0: Seeing how Eve would look in Margot's wardrobe. Right. I believe Birdie's exact line was, uh, let's see here. Unions, carry clothes and press them wrong, and don't let anybody muscle in. Yeah.
2: So... Bill
0: uh bill's coming home
2: and yeah. so Margot decides she's going to hold a big um party for him a welcome home party slash birthday party
0: I liked the party scene
2: yeah it's it's a fantastic scene it has one of the most recognizable lines in Hollywood which line in the, in the line I'll, I'll get to that okay so they get there and all the foods you know arriving and the orders are a little bit late and um, so. she Margot's getting ready in her room, and then Bertie comes in, and, she, and uh, Margo says... I keep saying Eve. Margo says... Well, it's all about Eve. Let me know when Bill arrives. And she's like, Bill arrived 20 minutes ago. Yeah. He's downstairs talking to Eve. Margo move, that, Bill. Margo does not like this. So she goes down, and she tells Eve, there's an issue with the orders. Go deal with that. Yeah. So Eve leaves the room. And then Margo sort of starts to <clears throat> accuse Bill of being a little too friendly with Eve and sort of suggesting Eve's maybe overstepping her bounds. I think I need to get rid of her.
1: Yeah.
0: Poor Margot. And
2: Bill is like, you're insane. And sort of defends Eve, which does not help the situation. No. And then uh, Lloyd and Karen show up uh, as well as Max, the the theater producer. Yes. As well.
0: Max. um, What the heck was his last name?
2: Oh, I don't remember. I
0: remember it being pretty funny. Burn something? I don't have it written down, darn it. Yeah. No. Anyway, Max, he's got a fun accent, and he's always sick. He's always,
2: like, needing some pepper. He's always stressed out.
0: Yeah, he's always got stress and, like, uh, uh, heartburn, I guess you yeah. could say. Poor sweet Max.
2: And when they get there, they immediately realize that there's this rift between Bill and Margot and Eve, and... They're kind of like, well, is this, is this, are we going to have a classic Margo situation? Yeah. And Margo, as she's going up the stairs, turns around and she says, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Nice. Letting them know that, hell yeah, you're going to have a Margo temp- temper tantrum this whole night.
0: Yeah, it's her party. She can cry if she wants to.
2: Yeah. so
0: Somebody should write a hit song. <laughs>
2: Uh, Addison Dewitt shows up, the the writer critic guy, right? Shows up with this beautiful blonde bombshell on his arm.
0: Now, who played her?
2: A very young Marilyn Monroe in yeah. one of her first roles, maybe her first role. I don't uh, think it was her first.
0: First, well, she's got other credits as like an extra and stuff. Yeah. And it's a little hard to tell what she might have been an extra. I think in, this but might
2: have been like her first like speaking maybe. character role, like she had a character name, and but it's one of her first, if not her first. Yeah, and certainly early. She's never looked better than in this film.
0: I've never been a huge Marilyn Monroe fan, but when she shows up in this movie, I'm like, well, sure. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because it's like when she is on screen, her face is the only thing you want to look at. Absolutely. It's crazy. 100% true. Uh, So she plays
2: Miss Caswell. Yeah. Who Addison is brought to meet Max, the producer, uh, so she can try and uh, audition for Lloyd's next play. Right. Um and I don't know
0: if we know the title of that ever.
2: Uh it's I actually, not our
0: American cousin, that's for sure.
2: No, no, no. It's uh it's the award that she's get, that Eve is getting the award for. It's um, Footsteps in the ceiling. On the ceiling, I'm sorry. Footsteps on the ceiling. Footsteps on the ceiling. And Margot is already set to play Cora, the lead. That's in that. right. And so they're looking for someone to play opposite Margot, and so miss caswell is there to sort of woo lloyd and bill who's the, a director yeah. and max the producer and they they set up a um an audition i can't, i don't remember if it was the next day i don't know if they exactly say when it is but i think it's sort of implied that it's the next day because Margot's late but we'll get to that in a second yeah.
0: the next well whenever it is at 2 p.m
2: Yeah, Margot shows up later than that. Like
0: four thirty,
2: Marilyn, Steve time. So Marilyn Monroe, um, you know, she was young and really nervous about this, and and before the night before they filmed this scene, yeah, Betty Davis actually threw a party. Oh, for the actors. That's fun. And Marilyn Monroe, everybody stayed and like you know had a good time and stuff, but Marilyn Monroe excused herself early. From the actual from party. the actual party, Ooh. and I think it kind of it seems like in interviews that I've read uh, that didn't sit very well with the actors. Whoa! Uh, but they kind of understood it at the same time. They were like, you know, Betty Davis can sort of just plow through that scene. It's a, it's an important scene and it's has its heavy moments, but. She can just do it, yeah, because she's, she's a veteran. It. Whereas Marilyn Monroe is working with all of these veterans, and she's never really done anything. So for her to go home and work on it was fine. And then they get to shoot it the next day, and Marilyn Monroe can't remember any of her lines.
1: Ooh, yeah. So it did that, not that
2: did not go hurts. so well. Uh, but she does have some some f- some fairly funny moments in. Even there. if she doesn't, I don't care. I yeah. want to
0: watch only that scene. Yeah. Over and over again. Well
2: it's it's funny because she's like there to sort of wow and her character's just a little bit bored because there's this other chaos this right going on at the same time. So, um Oh, the people are outside in the hallway again. Party. Welcome people. So the so the next day the um the uh audition's supposed to happen. Yeah. Oh, I think we're 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 missing one or two things.
0: I don't think we are. Between the party and the audition?
2: We are. So here's here's a couple things that have happened. Yeah. Eve convinces Karen.
0: Karen, the best friend of Margot. Yeah.
2: Hey, Margot's understudy is pregnant and has to leave. And you have to find a new understudy.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. And
2: essentially convinces Karen to get Lloyd... To give her the role of the understudy, which do, also doesn't sit well with Margot. Right. And I lost the other thing in my head. So let's just jump to the audition. Let's uh, go for uh, audition. it. So the audition happens and Margot shows up two, two and a half hours late. And Addison is sitting out in the uh, in The, the lobby. lobby,
0: I guess, right?
2: And he's like, it's done. The audition's already done. Miss um, Caswell was sick. She wasn't feeling well, but she still read through as best she could. And, and Margot says, well, how did she do? And he says, I, honestly, nobody remembers yeah. how she did. And, and, uh, and Margot's like, well, why, why is that? And he says, because we had someone else read for, for Cora because you weren't here. And she says, who read?
0: Well, no, Eve was reading against Cora.
2: No, 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 no. Miss Caswell wasn't auditioning for Cora. That's right. Okay, yes Because Cora is Margot's part. Margot's part. So she was essentially reading Margot's part. Yeah. And they said, you know, they thought it was exhilarating. I can't remember the exact words, but essentially, like, I believe you said she was
0: like a flaming golden
2: hawk. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's from something. No, but she. They did reference fire. Yeah, in there. Um, She
0: was like a woman set on fire.
2: That's Hunger Games. Oh, so anyways, so
0: she was like a mocking jay catching fire. Yeah.
2: And at his, and she's like, well, yeah, I can't believe they had her read. And he says, well, she is your understudy.
0: Yeah. And you were two and a half hours late, Margo. Yeah,
2: and she goes, my understudy. And he's like, yes, didn't you know? And she says, oh, uh, yeah, of course I knew. So she bursts in and goes, okay, let's get this thing going while everybody's up on the stage and congratulating Eve. And, uh, and they're like, hey, we, we finished this. It was, we were, you were supposed to be here two hours ago. It's already done. We had Eve read the part. And, mm. she, and she acts kind of gracious about it. She's like, oh, that's so good of you to do that.
0: Yeah, she plays blah, blah, like blah, blah. she doesn't, already, whoa, Ooh, like she doesn't already know that it happened. And then they kind of
2: spill the beans that she's the new understudy. And Margot's like, oh, that's so wonderful. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, I remember what the other thing was. What was it? The other thing that we missed. Um, at the party. Yeah. To get Eve out of her hair, she convinces Max oh, yes. to give Eve a job in his office. Right. So Margot has removed Eve from her personal life. And then she shows up at the theater and Eve is taking over her professional
0: life. Yeah. Feed a cat. hmm Feed a cat, Margot Channing. Mm-hmm. No relation to Carol Channing, I presume.
2: I don't. I don't
0: think so. I have to assume not.
2: Uh, so, Margot just can, then throws a fit, and they realize that that she did know that Eve was the understudy, and she knew that she was two hours late, and she knew that Eve had already read for the part, and that and she's furious, and she throws this big temper tantrum, and she fights with Lloyd.
0: Right. Her best the, friend's husband. Yeah. And the writer of two plays for her at least.
2: And and
0: he leaves
2: in a huff and he's kind of like it's the actors always think it's them that makes the story. Yeah. They they don't take into account the fact that somebody gave them the words to say. And so he leaves all all angry at her. And Poor Lloyd. Margot and Bill fight as well. And they fight about a bunch of things. They fight about her paranoia over Eve. And they, they fight about the fact that Bill has asked her to marry him multiple times. And she's like, you know, doesn't think she's worthy of it. Mm. And, and it sort of ends with not, not much resolved. So... <clears throat> it's a
0: bad fight. And a sad fight.
2: Yeah. Karen... Is at home painting. Right. And Lloyd comes home and he says, oh, I, I had, I had lunch with Eve. And, uh, and she, and Karen's a little suspicious. Um, well, he's she like, should like, and she's he, like, oh, did she mention the play? He's like, oh, just in passing. He's like, what if, what if I gave the part of Cora to Eve? Because I've never actually seen my words the things I've written reflected properly because I've always got this actress who's this big complaining diva and she's too old for the part. I've never seen someone who's the right age for the part in my plays. So what if I cast this? And of course, Karen comes to the defense of her friend, Margot, Um, and she says, I won't let you do it. Mm. You need to approve all your casting decisions need to go through me. Wow. And he agrees with her. <clears throat> so she goes. He leaves, and she goes back to to painting. And she an idea strikes her. She
0: gets an idea about their upcoming vacation.
2: Yes. So there, so there's this vacation that's going to happen with just the four of them: her and Lloyd, and Bill, and Margot. Right. Um. In like upstate New York.
0: Karen, Lloyd, Bill, and Margot taking a road trip for the weekend.
2: So. She gets this idea, and she calls up Eve, and she hatches a scheme. But we don't know exactly what that scheme is. So at the end of the weekend, they're all sitting in this... Oh, Bill decided not to go. We find out there's the th- three people are sitting in the front seat. Bill had and, to bail. And we find out that Bill decided he wasn't going to go. He needed some time to himself. Mm. And so you've got Karen and Eve and Lloyd in a car. and In the snow. In the snow. And... Karen's, you know, they're checking on the time. What time do we need to get to the train station? Oh, we've got ten more minutes before we, you know, to get to the train station, and it's only seven miles away or whatever. And then she's gonna get on the Eve's gonna get on the train. They're gonna put her on the train, and she'll get to the theater in time to for curtain.
0: Right. Which you don't don't take a vacation when you have to, be, you know, get back the day before you're supposed sure, to start back to sure. your job.
2: So. They're on the way, and all of a sudden, the car sputters and stops. Uh-oh. They're out of gas. <gasps> and Lloyd's like, "Did was this out of gas earlier? Like, you took the car out, you know, shopping for stuff? And, she's, and Karen's gas. like, I have no idea what's going on, blah, blah, blah. So Lloyd says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go start walking and uh, try to see if I can get either gas or somebody to come and get us so you can get to the train. Yeah. And so... Karen and Margot are sitting there and Margot apologizes. Right. And she's like, you know, she's sort of, uh, I've been hard on Lloyd. Yeah. I've been hard on you. I've been hard on Bill. I've even been hard on Eve.
0: Yeah. She sort of grows up in this moment. Yeah. She's no longer this woman who's been clinging her to her twenties diva-ishness for 20 years. Yeah. Now she's like, you know what? I'm at the top of the mountain. I can chill a little bit.
1: Yeah.
2: And Karen and Margot have this discussion about Bill and about how she loves Bill, but she's afraid that Bill's in love with Margot Channing and not her. Right. And she sort of opens up that there's this stage persona, Margot Channing. Um but she, deep down inside, is a different a different human being. And we're kind of seeing that other human being in the car. Right. And and you know, she says he's he's fought with the Margot Channing that he loves, he's worked with her, he's loved her, but ten years from now, when I'm not that Margot Channing anymore, and that Margot Channing will no longer exist, right. you know, what's left? And the interesting thing is, um, the guy who plays Bill... The
0: guy who looks like Harrison Ford.
2: Okay. And... Betty Davis? Yeah. Got married after this. Oh, really? And they lasted 10 years. And oh. then they got a divorce. They actually adopted a daughter after they got married and named her Margot.
0: Margot Davis or whatever his last name was.
2: Uh, Merrill? I don't know. I don't know what name she took. Margo
0: Margot Merrill.
2: Um, they got divorced almost exactly 10 years to the day. That's crazy. When they got married. Yeah. So, it was kind of an interesting moment. Wow. So, Margot's telling uh, Karen all of this stuff. Yeah. And then we start to see things soak in on Karen. That maybe she didn't need the swift kick in the pants that I thought she needed. Right. And she tells Margot, I'm sorry for this. And and Margot's like, this isn't your fault. You don't don't have anything to apologize for. It is what it is. It's weather. And Margot misses the performance. Yep. And... Who goes on? In, in Eve Harrington, her and what happens? Understudy,
0: she's beloved, and she basically like brings down the house, and everybody yeah. talks about how this is such a you know such a different performance, and you know, welcome, welcome to Broadway, Eve.
2: Right. We find out that Your Eve surping hosebag. <laughs> so Eve knew that this was going to happen. Yeah, and so she invited all of the critics in the city to attend the performance, including Addison DeWitt. And, uh, um, Addison shows up and he's going backstage to go and have a conversation with her. And he sees bill in the dressing room with her yep. and Eve tries to seduce bill and oh, get yeah. him to leave Margot. and bill. Hooray. Bill yeah. wants nothing of it. Right. And he leaves Eve alone in the dressing room, and Eve kind of starts knocking things over, and she tries to like pull her wig apart, and yeah,
0: she has a tantrum
2: and so addison um comes in and he basically tells her i can I can help you I can help you out, I yeah. can make you a star right now because Margot's coming back right It's not like Margot's gone forever, nope so Addison writes this praise slash scathing article about how great Eve is and how Margot has kind of come and gone. Yeah, she's seen the best of her years and she's peaked and and she's done for.
1: Ooh, that hurts.
2: And so Eve like contacts Karen and she contacts Lloyd and and Bill and tries to contact Margot. And nobody really wants to have anything to do with Eve. they don't want to talk to her because they know that you know she's behind this there's no coincidence that every critic was there on the same night right, so everybody sort of tries to ignore her she She apologizes to Lloyd, and Lloyd is kind of halfway like maybe maybe she means it so to kind of get over all of this stuff, Margot invites Karen and Lloyd to meet her and Bill at this restaurant the cub room
0: yes which is a funny name for a restaurant
2: yeah and they're and they're kind of like Margot's gonna go to the cub room that seems like she's she's not a people person she doesn't really want to be out in public yeah so they show up there and Margot and bill let them know that they're going to be married and they're going to go to the courthouse and all this stuff and go
0: into the courthouse.
2: A waiter shows up with a Uh-oh. note for Karen, and Karen opens it up and it says, "Please, I have to speak to you, please come to the women's room."." Yeah. And she, you know, Karen shows it to everyone, and everyone convinces Karen to go and talk to Eve because they want to know what Eve could possibly have to say.:
0: Yeah, like and, what's her game now?
2: And as Karen go, starts heading towards the women's room, she sees Addison there. Yes, um, sitting at a table. And he sort of raises a glass to her. She makes a snide comment to him. Hmm. Um, so she goes up and ta- she goes up some stairs and it's, like the women's room apparently is like a waiting room with like couches and stuff. Yeah. So um, like I-, I got the feeling it was like a powder room strictly in the sense of like, this is where women come to like, adjust their clothing and like there was probably a bathroom off yeah like a water closet or something off screen and that but this other room had couches and tables and stuff it's a
0: party unto itself yeah a ladies only party
2: so she convinces karen to sit down and she says i want you to tell lloyd to give the part of cora to me to forget um forget Margot. Yes. I almost said Eve again. I'm struggling. There. You're almost I struggling there. With tr- I almost said Eve again. <laughs> so to forget Margot and to give the part of court to her, and of course Karen's like, no way. You're, 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 a, crazy. Lun- you're a lunatic. You're so, a
0: delusional young ingenue.
2: Right. Um, a
0: delusionew."
2: And he says, so here's the deal. I've got Addison on my side. Yeah. And we're going to let everybody know that you were in on this whole car running out of gas thing Yup. and your relationship with margo will be dunsies so Best friends yeah so karen is kind of unsure what she's really gonna do but ultimately i think she decides that she's gonna help eve she doesn't know how she's gonna do it yeah uh, maybe perhaps convince um Eve suggest convince her to go on tour with Aged in Wood.
1: Oh, right.
2: And, and then she won't be able to do the part. Yeah. So, um, so Karen goes back downstairs and she sits back down at the table and she's kind of like, oh, she didn't really say much of anything at all. And then Margo uh, says, there's another thing I wanted to talk to you about. What could it be? I don't want to play Cora. What? And she's like, I know you had your heart set on it, so I'll do anything you need. If you want me to go on tour more with this show, fine, but I just don't think I can do it. And, it, and Karen just kind of like loses it and laughs and because she, she just doesn't really have to bullet. do anything, yeah. Yeah.
0: She just got out of jail free. Yeah. Friend jail.
2: So Eve gets the role of Cora. And she uses Addison to sort of like get her meetings with other people. Other yeah. people don't really seem to have much of an interest in her at oh. this point because she was an understudy who did one performance. So
0: one terrific performance, yes,
2: but it's still only one. Could be a fluke. So this a, a walk, uh, footsteps on the ceiling could be a big a big deal for her. Yeah. So they're going to open the play in Connecticut, and she. Um, Lloyd in the middle of the night, or well, Karen picks up the phone and Lloyd's like, who is it? And she's like, it's for you. And he picks up the phone and it's, um, Eve's uh, a woman that lives in the same building as Eve. Yes. And says, Eve, something terrible has happened. She's crying. Nobody can get her to answer anymore. Can you please, I, I remember seeing you with her one time. Right. Please come over. And he's like, I'm on my way. So he leaves. So then we go to Connecticut for the opening of the play. And Eve's got this like sweet, like this beautiful room and with, you know, a bar and whatnot. And Addison, um, comes up and, yeah. uh, she tells Addison that, um, Lloyd is going to leave Karen, that they've fallen madly in love. And that he spent the evening with her yep. before they came out here. And Karen has no idea. But after the play opens, they're going to run away together and be get married. And Addison is like, no, I don't think that's really what's going on. And he then reveals to her that he's been doing digging. Yep. And he, he completely... Uh, unravels her scheme, and there's, you know, one of the things is um, she said she went to the Schubert Theater in In San San Francisco. Francisco. San Francisco doesn't have a Schubert Theater. (gasps) She's Uh, a liar. He did digging into her background and... Found a real name. Found a real name and found out that she was given some shut-up money and told to leave town, and that's how she's made it to New York.
0: $500, and I think that was it. Yeah, so... I forget what she was supposed to shut up about. What was the money to keep her from talking about? Heck.
2: Well, her her name is Gertrude Slojinski.
0: Gertrude Slojinski.
2: And she had said that she had been married to this terrible guy, and it turns out she was never married. Um, She had an affair with her boss.
0: Right. Um, An affair with her boss, much like she's tried to do with Bill and Lloyd. Yeah
2: um who who worked in a brewery in yeah. Wisconsin. So nothing at all like what she said. Nope. So Addison essentially blackmails Eve and says that she's not going to marry anyone else and um in exchange for Addison's silence that she's going to belong to him.
1: No. Oh.
2: Um and I'm not I'm not really quite sure what that entails. Yeah. If like she's like Addison's like sex slave or what what's going on after that. Like they're going to be married or
0: basically he's got dirt on her. The biggest of dirt. Yeah. And if he doesn't do what, if she doesn't do what he says, he's going to pull some kind of consequences and he's going to reveal the dirt and who knows what she'll be nothing. Yeah.
2: So then we go back to the opening scene or the, you know, present day and, um, she's presented her award and she thanks Margo and Bill and Lloyd and Karen, and they all just kind of just stare at her without really any, any expression. And after the ceremony, Addison, you know, comes to talk to her and she, he's like, we have to go to this party. And she's like, I'm not going to the party. I, I don't feel well. I'm going to go back to my apartment, take this award and she, you know, take this to the party on yeah. my behalf. And, uh, and so she goes home. Right. And when she gets home she starts turning on lights and in the mirror she sees a young girl oh young woman sitting in a chair
0: sleeping in a chair
2: and the girl wakes up and yeah. she starts telling her how much she loves eve harrington and how she's the biggest fan and she's in high school and she's the president of the eve harrington fan club
0: yeah her name is phoebe Phoebe, I think they even allude to the idea that it's not really Phoebe.
2: Right. And, uh, and he's like, you got to get out of here. I've got to pack. And, and the girl's like, I'll pack for you. Don't worry. And then there's a knock at the door. And the, the girl makes Eve a drink and hands it to her. And Eve like kind of slumps down into the, onto the sofa. And she takes on the most Margot Channing, like demeanor and physical traits that we've seen yet. Um, Almost like she's become like a has-been or like right. she's been around for too long. Already. So Phoebe gives her the drink and then goes to answer the door. And then she brings in the award. And she says, go pack the award in my trunk because I want to take it with me. Yeah. So the girl goes into her bedroom and puts the thing on the trunk. And then she sees the outfit address on the bed.
0: Yeah, it's sort of that big sort of cape, sort of cloak yeah. thing that Eve had been wearing over her dress. Oh, that's
2: what it was, a cloak, yes, not, yeah. a, not a dress. And she picks it up and puts it on and starts kind of parading in front of the mirror.
0: Yeah, and then it's like it's like a three-angled mirror, so then when the camera's yeah. tied in, we can see like a thousand reflections of her. Yep. And but also, isn't it Addison that brings back the trophy? And Phoebe lies and said, oh, it was just oh, a cab yeah, yeah. driver. He said, you left this. Correct. Yeah. Correct.
2: So right away we know Phoebe, Phoebe's a liar. and a liar. And, yeah, I, I really liked that moment with all the, the reflections.
0: I did, too, because uh, Phoebe was hot. Well, and she... Barbara
2: Bates. A, a woman full of multiple traits and personalities, I think, is... Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what Eve was, right? Sort of... Not really multiple so. personality, but it was...
0: She, she was definitely playing a lot of different angles. Yeah. She was the poor, sweet kid who ran away to New York... She was the conniving, uh, adulterous usurper. She mm-hmm. was the uh, understudy who's just sort of, oh, I'm just along for this ride now.
2: But she always played this sort of like humble thing, like, right? Like, oh no, I wasn't that good. You know? Yeah. Um, so that was all about Eve. I, I that was all about all about Eve. Yeah. I really like the movie more now than when I saw it, like I said, I saw it the first time. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that it really felt like it was shot like a play. Like it's all yeah. about the theater and how everybody and everything that's important is kind of turned toward the camera in a way that wouldn't really make sense right. in real life. You don't normally see that on film. The fact that you could see Karen painting and see what she was painting at the yeah. same time is like a really good
0: example of that. Yeah, like she was basically sitting... Three quarters away from the easel, and the easel was also three quarters away from her. Yeah, making up for uh, 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 you know two and a half quarters away from each other. Right. Wait, what? I know what you meant. There aren't that many quarters.
2: You knew what I meant. I mean, the I math know what you is meant. all
0: over the place on this
2: movie. Man, my brain is just fried.
0: It's all right because I'm going to lead the discussion on double indemnity.
2: Well, before we get to that, though, yeah, I did want to say a couple other things about all about Eve that I. I kind of struck me and it kind of goes a little bit with the lendemain. Well, let me, let me start with this first. Um, Do you know that Betty Davis was the first woman elected president of the Academy? I of did Motion, not know that pictures, arts and sciences.
0: Maybe that's why all the guys think she's a spy.
2: Um, in 1942. Yeah. She resigned why? because she wanted to open the Oscars up to the public oh. and sell tickets to it. And oh. then donate all of the money to British war relief hmm. efforts. And they were like, nope. So she she resigned. And then Daryl Zanuck, the director of this film, yeah. said she's never going to work in Hollywood again. Wow. Eight years later, he signs her to play Margot.
0: Oh, all right.
2: Yeah. It's really interesting.
0: Very interesting.
2: But the thing that I thought was kind of interesting that sort of got it... Uh, a similarity to double indemnity we'll give anything away yet i won't maybe i i'll bring, try not to give too much away maybe,
0: maybe bring this up after double indemnity. well
2: we know that double indemnity is a film okay i'll bring it up after
0: there you go how about
2: that because we, we know it's a film noir I mean, yeah
0: it's a film noir it's a detective story without really a detective involved
2: i'm so glad that you're leading this one right now i love this podcast and i love watching these movies and i love talking about them but for i don't know whatever reason today my brain is just not clicking so well, I appreciate you. Have you. you had
0: enough cocaine?
2: I have not had enough cocaine. But my point is, Steve, I love <laughs> you. I appreciate you. I'm glad you're on this ride with me. Oh, I should thank point you out very much.
0: Well, thank you very much. And I like this ride. I should point out the coffee countdown for all about Eve. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure my first doze off happened uh, within about the first half hour, but I forgot to write it down. It was a very quick fall asleep, wake up kind of moment. Yeah. Uh, but then at about an hour and fifty minutes into the movie, I. Uh, I did indeed fall asleep. So right towards the end, I believe the movie's just a shade over two hours. I fell asleep somewhere around 20 minutes from the end. I, I, I know uh, I nosed off. I dotted off. I nodded off. Pretty uh pretty severely. So all about Eve. Drink some coffee because there's a lot of long scenes. Double indemnity. Let's go to double indemnity. Double yeah. indemnity. I'll tell you right now. Let's do it. Zero coffee countdown. I was awake through the whole thing. I was loaded up on Chinese food. Mm -hmm. I did have one cup of coffee before I came. And I had that uh, iced tea with ginseng in it. Ginseng probably played a major role in that whole thing. Yeah. But I didn't doze off once, I'm happy to say. Okay. Double Indemnity, 1944. I always thought this movie was directed by Alfred Hitchcock, because I'd only ever really heard about it. This was my first time ever seeing it.
2: Me too. My first time seeing it.
0: Turns out this movie is directed by Billy Wilder and written by him. Good old Billy Wilder. Yeah. And this is our fourth movie. Fourth movie. That we've done, directed by Billy Wilder.
2: It is our fourth one that we've done? I think so. Or, Wait,
0: Sunset Boulevard. Yeah.
2: The Apartment. Yeah.
0: We this. Have, yeah, that's three. So our third.
2: Yeah, as far as I know.
0: But we do know there's a fourth movie floating around in the bucket somewhere. Yes,
2: so we will have another Billy Wilder movie eventually. Some, At least one more Billy Wilder film.
0: Someday. Um, so this was at least our third Billy Wilder movie. It stars, stars Fred McMurray. You might remember him from My Three Sons. And The Apartment. The Apartment. He was uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Sheldrake. Um, you might also remember him from the original uh, Nutty Professor, you know, where he invents flubber and saves a basketball team or however that works. Mm-hmm. Was he also the shaggy DA? We discussed that. Yeah, I think he was. Because the shaggy dog was about a teenager. And yeah. then was he the shaggy DA, a district attorney who turns into a I, shaggy dog? I think so. I suppose uh, IMDB would help. I don't know. So Fred McMurray plays an insurance salesman. I almost called him a sales fella. Mm-hmm. Insurance salesman back in 1940s Los Angeles. Uh, and he plays a Mr. Walter Neff. Now, we know this because the movie starts with him limping through the night Coming into his insurance office, a nice janitor keeps addressing him as Mr. Neff. Can I help you to your office, Mr. Neff? What have you, blah, blah, blah. Mr. Mm -hmm. Neff, Mr. Neff, he says a thousand times. Neff goes into his office, picks up a funny uh, wax cylinder recording device, and starts speaking into it. And he seems like he's sweating an awful lot. He's sweating an awful lot. He's limping. He's having a hard time moving his his left arm. Mm Mm-hmm. And he starts speaking into the recording device and he says, Inter office memo confession. And he starts confessing to his boss, Mr. Keys.
2: Mm-hmm. I like Keyes. Keys, keys is
0: great. Keyes played by Edward G. Robinson. Say, nah, say that guy. Um, starts saying to Mr. Keyes, you know, you had uh you were you were concerned about the Dietrich case. Dietrichson, mm-hmm. that's the name, the Dietrichson case. And he says, uh, you said, it wasn't an accident, check. <clears throat> um, what else? It wasn't a coincidence or something like that, check. Maybe it wasn't a suicide, check. And then he says, you said, you think it was murder, check. Mm. And he goes on to tell the story of Dietrichson's murder. Which is a really common theme for
2: our our uh, podcast movie so murder. far. Murder? No, I mean, Murder's been in there, but...
0: Um, there movies that start at the end and then flash back Sophie's to the beginning. Sophie's
2: Choice had a narrator. Yeah. Um, Sunset Boulevard had a narrator. Oh, sure. This had a narrator. All About Eve had a narrator.
0: Did The Apartment have a narrator? I feel like it did
2: not. Um, the Apartment did have a narrator. Remember Jack Lemmon's character talks a lot about... Um, my name is this and I work in this That's department. True. And da, da, da. Um even into some small degree career opportunities has a narrator. We hear inner monologues for well, I guess they're not inner monologues necessarily. It but, opens
0: with a monologue. Yeah. But he's not really telling he's not telling that. story. But don't we
2: hear them don't we hear it again like when he sees Josie for the first time and stuff? Don't no we hear it we don't? Uh uh-uh. uh. Okay. I've already forgotten career opportunities, ladies and gentlemen. Whoa.
0: Well, hey, that's a perfect excuse to watch it again. Yeah, maybe one day. I'll one watch day. it today, if, I, if you dare me. All right, so <laughs> here is uh, Neff. He's injured somehow. He's recording this confession, and he wants to talk about Dietrichson's murder. And right there in the scene, we go on and on, and he's still saying stuff. And then he says, the truth is, keys." I killed Dietrichson. Da, da, da. So right mm-hmm. there, we're five minutes into the movie. The mystery's solved. Right, sort of. But what mystery? Why is this a mystery in the first place? hmm So we flashback, <clears throat> and we start with, uh, what's his name here? Neff, talking about how it all started one day when he drove to Dietrichson's house, because he was out that way somewhere in Glendale. Mm-hmm. On an insurance call, and then he remembered, oh, he's got a ticket for this house in Los Feliz, uh, auto insurance thing that's about to expire. Mm-hmm. So he wants to talk to Mr. Dietrichson before the policy lapses. Well, he arrives, and the housekeeper almost doesn't let him in, but then he just sort of shoes his way into the door. And Mrs. Dietrichson, Mrs. Phyllis Dietrichson, played by the lovely Barbara Stanwyck, uh, whose hair I could not tolerate in this movie. It's a wig? It probably was no. A wig. It was. It absolutely
2: was a wig. Okay. They didn't. They Those
0: bangs didn't make any sense.
2: Yeah, I think um, one of the crew people was like, they watched the rushes and they were like, um, you know, we hired Barbara Stanwyck and we got George Washington. Boo! <laughs> yeah, which is which is kind of funny and and. They, referring to the wig or her yeah, real the real hair? Yeah, the wig. Um, the uh, that
0: wig was just. I mean, it wasn't hundred te- percent terrible. I'm sure it was very fashionable well they, for the time.
2: They wanted. They really wanted a blonde, and they. Oh. Um, they. Uh, by the time that they had realized that it was so bad, it was too late to do anything about it in the film. So. It,
0: was a, it wasn't. I mean, was it so bad? I just remember the bangs just being like it, impossible. I mean, it just it looks like a wig. It does well, so. Neff shoes his way into the Dietrichson home. Mr. Dietrichson is not home, but from upstairs and wrapped only in a towel. Mrs. Dietrichson arrives and she's like, oh, who is that? Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, Neff makes a joke about like, I'd, off- I'd like to offer your husband more coverage or something like that. Certainly more than you're wearing right now or, you know, some sort of joke. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's hitting on her hardcore did, from the jump.
2: Did you notice something about... The look of the inside of the house that it always looked kind of um, ethereal isn't quite right. Isn't mm. quite the right word, but like um, hazy, like this like perfect thing for this woman, for a woman. Like if you want to shoot a woman on film, oh. like it's kind of nice to have sort of like a little bit of a haze going on. I
0: don't think I noticed
2: that. Yeah, so I, I guess they, um, they mixed in, so they had like smoke. All right. Which you often do in film.
0: He even comments about how the place still was like. Stuffed with last night's cigar smoke.
2: Right. So they had the smoke huh. mixed with silver dust Ooh. to kind of give it this.
0: So they all got to breathe silver dust yeah, apparently. floating around in the I'm air. I'm sure
2: that wasn't good for them. But...
0: I bet it was not. Uh, I'm shouting, aren't I? All right. So um, <laughs> Mrs. Dietrichson's like, oh, let me get dressed. I'll come down. We'll talk. She comes down to talk about policies with him. And he he's just 100% like throwing it at her like, yo. Mm-hmm. Your husband ain't home anytime soon. You and I should get it on. He's using much more colorful language than that. Uh, But, uh...
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, he's he's being downright, uh, you know, film noir, like, poetic about it. Like, he's just using all these euphemisms and this and that. But he's saying, like, we should throw down. Right. Because your husband won't be home for a couple hours. But she... Yeah. And she's not exactly turning him down
2: oh no she, she's not turning him down she's
0: just sort of very playfully but she she like moves really close to him yeah.
2: and like i think she sends some signals that yeah, gets him signals yeah for sure that gets him riled up in but the then place.
0: verbally she sort of playfully swats everything away right but she's physically signaling like and i feel like she's instigating it personally oh absolutely yeah. she's 100 uh uh you know she's trying to get him to go home and think about her if you know what i mean mm-hmm. um she then asks about accident insurance, and uh, you know that right there should be a bit of a red flag. So, long story short, Neff goes back to his office. We finally meet his boss, Mr. Teas, played by uh, Edward G. Robinson, and he is uh, he's given a a firm talking to to a truck driver whose truck caught on fire. And he's telling him, listen, pal, you know, we're not paying your policy because right. you definitely set your own truck on fire, hoping to collect, collect the insurance.
2: Like, it's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, the guy, you can he's tell, like, he's we like. We found the shavings. He goes, right. What shavings? And he goes, the ones you soaked with kerosene. Yeah,
0: the ones you soaked with kerosene. So the guy's like, oh, gee, oh, I'm not sure. And uh, Keys has him sign this thing to basically say he's waiving the, the claim. And, you know, he says, you can be an honest man again. Now get out of here. And the guy basically realizes he's caught in a lie. He's lucky he's not going to jail. He eats crow and he leaves.
2: Every time Edward G. Robinson uh, explains something, goes through the process of explaining something, Yeah, those are the best moments of the film for me. Oh, sure. Like, he just, he knows his monologues. There's one coming up a little bit later in the film when they right. speak to uh, uh, Norton. Norton. That monologue oh, it's is great. one of the best that I've. Heard in a while.
0: Absolutely, so. the one about uh, the different kinds of leaps and the different kinds yeah, of drownings and yeah. the different kind of poisons. Yeah. Um, so that's that. Uh, Phyllis and Ph- uh, Phyllis, no. Neff and Keys. They shoot the breeze a little while about the insurance business <laughs> and what have you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Neff, of course, lights a uh, cigar for Keys because he seems to always be faster with his matches. Keys can never find his lighter. So uh, then, what happens? Keys, no. Neff goes back. To Dietrichson's house. Yes. To meet with Mr. Dietrichson. Guess who's not there yet again? Yeah. Mr. Dietrichson. Why isn't he there this time? But, you
2: know, when she opens the door and he's standing there and he's, he's kind of standing in a way that, like, he knows that Dietrichson's not there. Yeah. He asks about Mr. Dietrichson to make sure, I think, but he knows that right. Dietrichson's not there.
0: Dietrichson, still not home. And once again, Neff is just hitting on his wife, Phyllis, played by Barbara Stanwyck. Hitting on her so hard, and uh, they're talking, they're talking about this and that. Basically, it comes to light. Phyllis wants to kill her husband. Mm -hmm. She wants to buy an accident insurance policy on him. She wants to bump him off and collect the bread. Because, oh, he's so neglectful and yet so abusive, and he's got this daughter that hates Phyllis, and this, that, and the other thing, and... I think he won't she mentions, let me go
2: out. He won't let me go out. He won't let me go shopping.
0: Yeah. She's basically a shut in. I think she mentions that she had been his wife's nurse. Yeah. When his wife was dying of some horrible disease pneumonia. Of pneumonia. And then once his wife passed away, Dietrichson basically just turned his affections to the nurse. She was the closest woman. hmm. Blah, blah, blah. She married him because she wanted, you know, a house to live in. So, it's not exactly a very pretty picture, although it's a very pretty house. Mm-hmm. Um, where are we? So Neff talks her out of it. He realizes like, wow, she is a hundred percent serious about this. And he's like, no, it'll never work. Like you, there's, there's, you're always going to get caught no matter how perfectly you plan it. You're always going to get caught, especially with my boss, Mr. Keys. His job is to basically turn down insurance claims. He's going to find out that this was rigged. It can't work. Yeah. Yeah. But he goes home that night and he can't get Phyllis off his mind. Just he's, he's, she's, she's infected him now. She's in his brain.
2: And he knows they're not done. He says, right. I know that we're not done yet.
0: So he comes up with a plan to make sure they can bump this guy off, collect the insurance money, and nobody is going to be the wiser. Right. Right. Where the heck are we? So he comes up with this plan. They talk about it again. uh, And they keep saying uh, they're with each other straight down the line. Yeah. Like both of them, they're in it together till the end. They're in love. Excuse me. They've met two whole times. So they're in love. They haven't shagged. So they're in love. And they're with each other straight down the line.
2: And that that line thing is, I think, kind of important. That theme comes up quite a bit. Oh, yeah. They don't just say the line line um they a, they a lot they 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 the theme of a line moving in the line is important
0: they they uh yes i do agree so where are we now oh so now what neff has got to do yeah
2: oh it's, well no go ahead I'll, I'll i'll add it in a minute
0: so um what is it oh yes i should point out that when he decides to do it it's at his own apartment mm-hmm. he's gone home after talking her out of it He's back at his own apartment, and she shows up, and he says, "Like sure enough, eight o'clock, she just happens to show up at my place." Yeah, and they have you know this exchange, and she tells him, "Oh, blah blah blah," they make and then out. they hug. They don't even make out right then; they just hug, and he's like, we "No, he st- no, kisses her." I don't think at, they at do at the window.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, at the window. Yeah.
0: Is that after the long hug that backs away and all that? I thought they just hugged at I'm first. Pretty,
2: I'm pretty sure they...
0: Maybe they kissed right there. They
2: lock lips, I thought.
0: Well, it might not have been that memorable of a kiss. Because I would remember... No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I was jacked up that on friend coffee. friend But they do have that weird long hug on the couch. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that was that's back
2: then. after the kiss. Okay. They've already kissed.
0: All right. Maybe I was looking at my eyes. But too. you're right. He
2: turns her in kind of a weird way and they... Because she's sitting on the couch, kind of weird, and then yeah. he, he like pulls her close. He like pulls her really quickly, and, and he's like, just, oh, he's gonna hug. kiss her. And nope oh, it's this really weird hug where he, yeah. it looks like she's being held against her will. It kind of,
0: it kind of does look that way. Yeah. Um, so he comes up this, with this plan. He's got to get Dietrichsen to sign an accident insurance application.
2: This is like the next day or something, yeah. right?
0: But without Dietrichsen realizing what he's signing. And he needs it witnessed, but he can't have it witnessed by Mrs. Dietrichson, Phyllis, because that'll look way too suspicious. So Phyllis brings in Dietrichson's daughter, Lola, Mm -hmm. to be the only witness available, which Mm -hmm. seems like a terrible idea, and it probably is. But
2: he kind of goes over the whole plan, right, the next day or whatever. They discuss the plan and how they're going to do it. No, not really.
0: I thought... hmm well anyway let we'll we'll get into that, so neff's over at the house. we finally meet mr. Dietrichson. he's a pretty cantankerous jerk yeah um, it's been revealed that he basically doesn't have real money yeah. he's got these oil concerns that he's involved with working on, but he's pretty much broke he yeah. he couldn't he couldn't really get his hands on any real cash and um So, what is it? Uh, Neff very slyly gets him to sign the stuff. Lola's in the room playing Chinese checkers, bored out of her mind. And uh, talking about she wants to go meet with her boyfriend, Nino Zacchetti. uh, Well, no.
2: no. She's going to go out roller skating with Anna Matthews. With Anna
0: Matthews. But Dietrich's and her dad is like, well, you better not be meeting that bum Zacchetti, blah, blah, blah. He hates that kid. Because who wouldn't hate any? You hate a dude. If he's trying to if he's yeah. trying to mess with your teenage daughter, sure. Um, so Lola does indeed witness the signing of the papers, mm-hmm. as does Phyllis. Dietrich signs the papers, not knowing what he's signing.
2: So there's two sets of papers. There's yeah. two contracts, um, and he starts to remove one to go and look at the other one, and uh, Neff kind of takes it out of his hand and puts it back in front of the second one, ah. and he has him sign the top one, and then he slides it up a couple inches to reveal the signature line of the bottom one. He says, you need to sign this one too. And he's like a second contract. And he says, well, one is for me and one's for that's right the file. And one's for me and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So he convinces him that the second one that he can't read yeah. is, but it's really the,
0: the accident insurance.
2: The, the uh, yeah, the accident insurance.
0: Oh man. So Dietrichson says, good night. Phyllis follows Neff to the door, and they talk about blah, blah, blah. Ooh, we're going to do it. Oh, yeah, he signed it. Ooh, great. Everything's great. Neff goes to his car, and little Lola Mm -hmm. is waiting in his car. Yeah. Pretty creepy, if you ask me. Gets into his car. There's this foxy teenager in there. She's like, oh, well, I figured you're going my way. You could give me a ride, right? First of all, rude. (laughs) Second of all, you don't just get in a grown man's car.
2: Yeah, it's a little... um aggressive
0: it's a little aggressive yeah. but it opens the door for Neff to get to know lola drives her down of course she's meeting with nino Zacchetti and she lied to her parents about going roller skating mm-hmm. with her girlfriends we meet nino zachetti he's a jerk he is a huge jerk we find out uh he got he got involved in some sort of scandal at law school right
2: uh med school. med school med school yeah he so he was in med school And he was working nights at uh, a theater, maybe. Anyways, um, he got into an argument. Oh, so he got, he he was, because he was working at night, he was missing his classes and got kicked out of school. He got into an argument at work and got fired from his job. Yeah. He's just made some bad decisions. Because he's a jerk. Because he's a jerk. Because he
0: pulls up to uh, Neff's window Mm -hmm. and he's like, who the heck is this? Yeah. And she's like, oh, this is Mr. Neff. He's a friend. Like, don't worry about it. And he's like, yeah, I like to choose my own friends. And he's just, like, 100% jerky the whole way. Yep. Um. So what is it? Uh, Neff is pretty courteous to him, you know. Just, you know, doesn't, uh, doesn't really take his guff, but doesn't bother firing back. He realizes this kid fancies himself a tough guy. Yeah. Probably trying to show off in front of his very attractive girlfriend. And, uh... So Neff's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And I think he sees that there's probably some angle he could play with Zacchetti if he needed to. Mm-hmm. So where the heck does it go from here? All right, so Neff figures out that uh, – what is it? No, he – they gotta first he's got to meet, secretly meet Phyllis mm-hmm. and have her secretly drop the signed accident form into – dietrichson's safety deposit box
2: yeah so they've already discussed what the plan is going to be at this point have they fully i think so i don't be- think they
0: fully discussed the train and all that jazz I Have they? they?
2: Did. well the reason i thought they did is because um i noticed the clothes that she wears in the film yeah and i think at this point they have but i, I could be wrong but what i did notice was early in the film when she's like oh my husband's not home and oh I thought about it, but I was never gonna do it. I was never really gonna kill him. yeah, she's wearing white, all right, right? Once they start plotting like those those scenes where you see them plotting and doing nefarious things right uh she's wearing black, mm. so well, dark colors is black and white, so but yeah, I assume it's black,
0: but so. I don't remember them going, like, point by point over the plan at this point.
2: Yeah, because he talks to her about the double indemnity clause, like why that's so important and where it has oh, to see, be. Oh, see, I thought
0: he talked to her about that after the possible, I guess. application handoff. Maybe it's right there at the door while Lola's waiting in the car. Is that when that happens, maybe? I don't remember. So basically what he says is you've got, when he, he's taking this trip out of town, Dietrichson's going to take a trip out of town. He's like, you got to make him take a train out of town. Not drive his car. Because this accident policy has a double indemnity clause. If he dies on a train, which is pretty unlikely, it will pay double. Yeah. So we get a hundred grand instead of fifty grand. You gotta make him take the train to uh Northern California. Palo
2: Alto. Palo Alto, like that's that, yeah. right.
0: She's like, No, he's gonna wanna drive. He's like, It's gotta be a train. It's gotta be a train.
2: It's gotta be a train. Make make it happen.
0: Make it happen. So, then, a couple of days later, Dietrichson breaks his leg. And he's not going out of town at all. Mm-hmm. And Lola, uh, not Lola, Phyllis is all freaked out. She's like, oh my God, what's going to happen? He broke his leg. He's not going to go out of town. Uh, at the same time, Mr. Keys, Walter's boss, mm-hmm. wants to hire him. Walter Neff, I've referred to him as both things several times, uh, wants to hire him to be his personal assistant. For a $50 pay cut. I think $50 a week if I'm not mistaken. So he's talking about I want to pay you less to do more work for me rather than just be a – Sit at a desk. Yeah, sit at a desk and do more work for me and be like a surgeon over these policies rather than just go out, sell the policies and make a lot more money. It's an insane offer. I don't know why he offered it at all. But he offered it because he thinks, well, as he says, he doesn't think that Neff is smart. It's that he's less dumb than the rest of these guys. I thought that was pretty darn funny.
2: Yeah, they sort of make another reference later on in the film about being more or less than something.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Where the heck are we? Uh, Uh, Well, Neff obviously turns it down. mm -hmm. Because I think he knows he's probably going to wind up having to flee the city pretty soon. I don't think he has plans to get this money Mm -hmm. and then stay in Los Angeles, does he? Not really very clear. But either way, he's, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Well, shortly after that, Neff gets a call from Phyllis, and now Dietrichson is going out of town. Yep. And because of his broken leg, makes it a whole lot easier to get him to take the train. He can't drive. He's got a broken foot. Right. And it's going to be a whole lot easier to kill him on a train He's limping around with crutches and a cast.
2: Yep. And she and she says, he says, you know, what color suit is he wearing? And she says, navy blue.
0: Right. Oh, yeah. this phone call happens while Keyes is in the room with Neff. Yep. So Neff's got to be all uh, secretive yeah. about it. Make it sound like he's talking to somebody else. Yeah. So what we learn is uh, Neff is going to disguise himself as Dietrichson, wear the same color suit. Where
2: bandage a, on his leg, a
0: bandage on his leg. Use Dietrichson's crushes, but before doing all that, he's going to be hiding in the back seat of their car while Phyllis drives Dietrichson to the train station.
2: So, so the lead up to that is,
0: yeah. he drives home from
2: work. He parks in the garage where right. there's a, a car guy, and he says. Uh, I want to get the car washed. He makes sure he's seen by the guy right. and that the car is not available to him.
0: Yeah. He goes around setting up his whole alibi. He
2: couldn't, he couldn't possibly be anywhere else because this guy's washing his car. Right. And so, uh, and he says, I'm going to go upstairs and, and do some work. He purposely leaves a, an important book behind on his desk.
0: Yeah. His, uh, his price rate book or something. Like he that.
2: calls, uh, one of his coworkers to go take a look at the book and give him some quotes which ensures a long phone conversation, which places him at his apartment. He also knows that the phone call is going outside of his immediate area, which means it will show up in phone records that he was actually there and he made this phone call.
0: Don't give away all the details of his alibi. What if they haven't watched it?
2: Uh, Well, I hope they've watched it at this point. They should have watched it. We always give all the details of the alibi. You should have watched it, folks.
0: All right, so then what else is in his alibi? I feel like there's one other piece. Well, he's... um, He makes sure he's seen... Getting home and staying. Home. There's other
2: pieces there's other pieces to what he does, but not necessarily things that anybody would ever know. Okay. So he takes these little bits of card and he puts one on the bell for his doorbell and right. he puts one on his phone the inside the phone so that way he knows if somebody called him. Yeah. Or if somebody came to ring the doorbell. Right. So he can make some sort of excuse why he didn't answer. Right. And then he sneaks out the service entrance of his building. Yes. And walks,
0: uh... All the way to Los Feliz. Did he walk all the way to Los Feliz? I can't yeah. remember. Okay. I think he said he, it was like a five-mile walk from yeah. his house to Dietrichson's house.
2: So, yeah. So he gets to Dietrichson's house, and he's like... She parks the car backwards into the... Like, in reverse. So that way, um, Dietrichson will get immediately into the passenger side door... Right. And not worry about anything else.
0: Right. So, he gets in the car. He hides in the back seat, mm-hmm. low on the floor... Uh, Phyllis comes out with Dietrichson on his crutches. She goes into the garage, pulls the car out. Dietrichson hops in the front seat. Everything's going smooth. They take a wrong turn on the right way to the train station, as planned. Dietrichson starts going on, oh, This isn't the right street. What are you doing on this street? Being a jerk. Yep. The plan is she's going to pull down a certain street and then honk the horn three times. Mm-hmm. And that's when Neff is supposed to rise up in the back seat, And I'm guessing strangle Dietrichson?
2: Uh, he breaks his neck.
0: Is that what he does?
2: Yeah, because they say that he broke his neck. Oh. They found the autopsy showed that he no, no other signs broke his neck.
0: Broke his neck. So Neff knows how to break a man's neck with his bare yeah. hands. It does look
2: like he's going to strangle him with, with something in particular. But the autopsy report says broken neck.
0: Broken neck. Terrifying. Where the heck are we? All right, so... Dietrichson is now dead. Mm-hmm. And it was Walter Neff who done it. Yep. you got to turn a page. I'm going to do it far away from the microphone. So they get to the train station. Mm-hmm. Neff's, uh, Dietrichson's body still in the car. Neff gets out with his bandaged foot and Dietrichson's crushes and a hat down low over his face. Mm-hmm. And now he's posing as Dietrichson. Phyllis walks him onto the train. She's telling the, uh, you know, the porters and whatnot, uh, oh, don't help my husband. He doesn't like to be helped. Let's just get him on the train. Tell him where he's supposed to be. And then um, he tells the one guy, I'm going to go back to the observation deck and have a smoke.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Goes through the caboose, out to the observation deck, where he wants to just jump right off. He almost does. He almost does. But there's a guy waiting there. A cowboy from Oregon uh-huh. named Mr. Jackson. Jackson heading north, back to Oregon, catches Dietrichson, really Neff, out there. Neff keeps his back to him the whole time, talks about how he's heading to Palo Alto, this and that, starts feeling around for a cigarette. Uh, What is it? Uh, Jackson offers him a cigarette. He says, you want to roll your own? Yeah. And then, what is it? Jackson offers to go back to his compartment for him. To and, get cigars, get which is what cigars.
2: he prefers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I prefer cigars, but I left them back in my in my room, in my so, bag.
0: Right. So Jackson, who has now witnessed, quote, unquote, Dietrichson on the train at mm-hmm. the observation deck, goes back into the train to get some cigars. Right then, perfect timing. The crutches go over the rail. Neff climbs over the rail, jumps off, doesn't hurt himself amazingly. mm and uh, he's right near the drop-off point. Just over yonder is Phyllis in the car with Dietrichson's body. Yep. The train's moving on down the track away from him. Drag the body out. Find where's, the cr- yeah. where's the train going? Palo Alto.
2: But straight line.
0: Straight line. Oh. They moved the body onto the tracks. I'm pretty surprised the body didn't wind up getting run over by a second train at any point. I I kind of wondered that,
2: too. I kind of wondered if that was the initial plan. Yeah.
0: I wonder if maybe they found it real early. But who would find it? I don't know.
2: Well, they they do mention that about 20 minutes after his disappearance, uh, there was some sort of, like at the next station, he wasn't to be found. And so they made a phone call. And then they, they went back and checked the tracks and they found him.
0: Oh, I thought it happened much later than that. No, oh, I thought snap. they said
2: I could be wrong. I thought they said twenty minutes, but but they do make a point of saying that at, at the next station they um they made a phone call
0: oh. regarding it. So where
2: that's, however far away the next station was.
0: I thought it was that a body had been found and then they telegraphed up and then finally at oh, one of the stations the telegraph. I could have it
2: the other out. way around. I again my brain's not working today. Oh, okay. But either well, way, right. something similar to that happened.
0: So eventually they got the train gets news that this guy fell off the back and died
2: yeah so they dump the body they dump
0: the body on the train tracks and they go back into the car they go back into the car and the car won't start correct phyllis is behind the wheel cannot get the car to start
2: there's an interesting story kind of with a that.
0: sexist moment going on right here
2: there is a sexist moment with that um, that was not in the script oh really yes wow um, one night after uh, shooting, yeah, Billy Wilder got in his car to leave um, the set, and he couldn't get his car to start. And All he right. thought, this would be great to have happen in the film.
1: Nice. And
2: that's how that happened.
0: It was a tense moment, and Phyllis can't get the car to yeah. start, tries and tries and tries. Neff reaches over, tries it a couple times, it starts. I mean, he holds it, he basically, it
2: he basically does it once. He just holds it down a really long time, it seems yeah. like. And then, of course, it starts.
0: Works for him. We
2: we looked at each other and we were like, oh, that was pretty
0: sexist. That was kind of sexist. Women don't know how to start a car, apparently. So, it looked like they were facing certain doom. You know, their best case scenario might be we have to push this car away in the dark and somebody's certain to see us. Instead, they make a clean getaway.
2: I want to address something real quick. Let's hear it. Because the way we're telling this almost makes it sound like Neff is the driving force of this. And I want to make something clear. Yeah, Phyllis really clearly is manipulating Nef. Sure, um, but he... so just from our just from our and he does take charge He's... in like figuring out he becomes the mastermind, which is great for Phyllis because right. she, you know she didn't come up with an evil plan, right? So, but it's really clear that she sort of engineered the right person in all the right circumstances and got him to sort of take control. It, it's not that she. I, I just really want to stress. That she's very devious, but he's still choosing to do it. No, no, he's choosing. I just don't want. I don't want to like put it like as he's this mastermind because really, at the end of the day, he came
0: up with the whole plan.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not so sure he did. I mean, I I think he did come up with a plan, but I think she knew. I think she knew a plan before hmm. she she even. I think she chose him for that reason.
0: I think all she knew was she wanted him. She wanted Dietrichs and dead, and she wanted money.
2: Yeah, I and don't she know. She knew
0: that Neff was enough of a sucker.
2: Yeah, I don't know. A horny sucker. I think she's more calculating than that. I, I got the feeling she was more calculating
0: than that. Time's going to tell. Time is? <laughs> the car starts. They drive away, mm-hmm. but Dietrichson's, or not Dietrichson's, Dietrichson is dead. Mm-hmm. Neff, his his whole alibi is in place. Yep. Everything he planned for his alibi is perfect. Mm-hmm. But news... Of Dietrichson's dead body is just, boom, it's on the front page first thing in the morning. So now, Keyes and Neff, being employees and high-up employees of the insurance company that have policies on this guy, mm-hmm. are called into Keyes' boss's office, Mr. Norton. Mm-hmm. We only see him in this one scene. And he makes a crack about how Keyes showed up to this meeting without wearing a jacket. Yeah. He says something about, what, is it too warm in here for you? And uh, you know, keys. I didn't realize it was gonna be this formal. Yeah, that's what he says. And then later, he makes a joke. I'll wear a tuxedo next time.
2: Yeah, and and I got the feeling that this was the top guy yeah. at the firm. Like this is the this is Mister.
0: He's Edward whatever, Norton.
2: Yeah, Norton Insurance. I his guess his name is
0: literally Edward S. Norton. Yeah, which was also the guy who played uh, Ralph Cramden on The Honeymooners, right?
2: And Ed Norton. And Ed Norton, the Norton actor,
0: our contemporary uh, movie star. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, so they go in to talk to, like, the boss of the company, who's kind yeah. of a jerk.
0: The boss man. Well, he, he's 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 watching out for his bottom line, right? So he calls them in, and he's talking about how, uh, what is it, this, that, and the other thing, and about how they don't have to pay this policy, and he's figured out why.
2: Yeah, and, and the, I guess the reason why I think he's a jerk, I, I it, and I mentioned this when we were watching it, it feels, it felt like classic insurance to me, like an yeah. insurance company, where it's like, there's... I mean, I don't want to just accuse all insurers of doing this, but there is a um, now common stereotype for a reason that insurance companies will try to find any reason not to pay out, even if it's the wrong thing.
0: Yeah, they're selling you thin air. Yeah. They're saying, pay us all this money. If something happens, you get this money for it. And then when that thing happens, they look for every possible reason to not pay you.
2: And, And that's what this guy really feels like he's doing.
0: Oh, yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. What not jerk. But he's doing it because in his mind, he runs the company and he's trying to save 50,000 bucks. Well, in this case, 100,000 yeah. bucks.
2: But you know, though, like, Keyes works for the company and Keyes is like, look, they got us. This is this is the right thing to do. Right.
0: Right. Who else does Norton call into the office? He calls in Phyllis. The widow Phyllis Dietrichson shows up wearing all black with a veil and a hat. She's wearing black. She's got a hat on a veil over a pretty face. And I mean, is this the day after her husband's found dead or maybe just a couple days? Yeah. He sits her down and he says, your husband committed suicide. He bought a policy off of one of our agents. He signed it. He tucked it away in the safety deposit box. And then he went and threw himself off a train because he knew it would pay double indemnity for his wife and the woman he loved. This is suicide. We don't have to pay it. And Phyllis very beautifully plays the, I don't know what you want to call it. But she's just like, how can you even talk to me about victim. such a thing? Yeah. Like, she's like, my husband's dead. I'm in mourning. And you're bringing this kind of crap up? Like, how dare you? And she storms out. She, well, she says, first you tell me
2: you're going to pay. Then you tell me. Well, so he goes, he goes we don't have to pay, but we're that's going right. to we're he going to settlement we're going to offer you a settlement that's less money so she goes first you tell me you're going to pay the thing then you say you don't have to pay the thing right and then you tell me you're going to pay me part of the thing yeah and she and she gets up and storms out now that's when she gets up and storms out
0: right which is the, the right move because rather than just being like oh well let me see whatever money i can get because yeah. i'm a guilty murderer she's like no i'm going to play morning wife and i will not even put up with this sort of nonsense. She storms out. It's great. She doesn't let on that she knows Neff any more so than the one time that he was over to sign some papers. They play it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Keys of all people is not thrilled about his boss's suicide accusations. Yeah, it's and uh, he
2: goes, phenomenal. You
0: take the lead, buddy. No, I mean no, I mean
2: you go go for it. You well,
0: go he goes on this tirade about how like. You know, um, and it's funny because it, it's almost like he's kind of leading it a different way. But um, he goes on a tirade about how they cover all these different things, all these different versions of death. All the books. Yeah. And, and, and then among them is suicide. And then suicide's got all these subsections of poisoning, leaping, you know. Uh, uh, Skin
2: color, gender, s- ethnicity. Yeah. Uh,
0: uh, suicide by gunfire, this and that. And then he's like, then in... You know, there's subsections of poisoning. Like, did he drink this? Did he ingest that? Did he breathe this? There's subsections of leaping. Did he leap from a building? Did he leap under a bus? Did he leap into, into a, in front a river? Did he leap in front of a train? And he's like, but he's like, I know the statistics. I've seen all the numbers on the actuary tables of how many instances of this, mm-hmm. how many occurrences of that. And he's like, and this is the only instance of somebody jumping to his death Off a train and we're stuck, and we got off the back of a train. He's like, "We're stuck. We gotta pay that woman, her husband's insurance policy."
2: Well, and he goes, "And he goes, you know, you know how fast the train was going. It was going 15 miles an hour. No, that comes in later. Oh, really? Because I I thought he was like, the odds of somebody knowing that they that that would happen to them are too slim. That it could only have been an accident. Yeah, he's like, it's only it only could have been an accident because." leaping off of a train at 15 miles an hour wouldn't break your you know you wouldn't you wouldn't break your neck intentionally
0: that way yeah see i thought he, i thought he said that to neff later on Maybe. no wait he does say that to neff later on because what he's saying to d to to norton is yeah nobody commits suicide by jumping off a train so this clearly wasn't a suicide
2: oh you're right so he's saying he that's his reasoning for it's not a murder right but i mean it's a murder
0: but then later you're right the whole case still isn't sitting right with keys. He keeps talking about the little man that lives in his gut and how he knows something's wrong when he ha- tries to eat food. And the little it, man
2: wakes him up in the middle of the yeah, night. Yeah,
0: and the little man is basically giving him indigestion. So then, yes, later he starts saying to, to Neff, he's like, Norton was wrong about suicide, but you know what? We're wrong about accident. It was murder.
2: Yeah, and that's within scenes. Like it's, It yeah. comes very quickly that he comes to this realization. Very, he can't sleep quickly. at night. Uh, and he goes to see Neff at home.
0: And while he goes to see Neff at home, Neff has just gotten a call from Phyllis and he tells her, Yeah, come on up to my apartment. Uh, she's a block and a half away. She's a block and a half away. He's like, Yeah, come on up to my apartment. Don't let anybody see you. And while Neff is waiting for Phyllis to come up, Keyes shows up and goes on about how Norton's wrong about suicide. We're wrong about accident. It was murder. And that's when he says, You're right. There's no way that guy could have thought he was actually going to kill himself or even accidentally kill himself by falling off a 15-mile-per-hour train. Right. He's like, that wouldn't kill anybody. So it's murder. Sure. Then he excuses himself. Neff walks him into the hallway. At this time, Phyllis is listening at the door. She very smartly hides behind the door as it's opened uh Nef's holding the door she tugs on it from the other side Neff realizes oh that must be phyllis hiding back there so he kind of makes sure the door stays open wide so as to hide her you want
2: The interesting thing about that yes impossible that scene in how the, so in real life uh there's building codes and building codes say that you can't open doors into hallways
0: that's true huh yep every apartment door usually opens into the apartment mm-hmm Wow!
2: So as to not accidentally hit somebody that's walking by, I like that a lot. Your apartment,
0: impossible scene. But were those codes in place in 1944? Yes. All right, you but, did the research. But
2: it's still it's still kind of a fun. Yeah, it's a fun. It's little a fun scene. moment.
0: It's cat and mouse right there. Yeah, and then you know the elevator comes. Keys doesn't get right on it. He walks back to the door to get a mm-hmm. light for from Neff because Neff seems to be the only person that can light his cigars. Finally, Keys bugs off I'm assuming uh Neff and Phyllis get it on in Neff's apartment at that point what is it she goes into his apartment I think they just kind of close it at that point right
2: um I think he talks to her about how they can't be seen and that Keyes will follow her yeah so I mean like that this is sort of their last conversation together for a while
0: for a while yeah cuz Keyes is definitely going to have investigators working on this yeah. thing
2: so they do have that they do have that brief conversation in there, right, sure right, let's say they get it on. that's nice
0: the next day, okay. Neff goes into his office mm-hmm. who's waiting for him, little Lola Dietrichson. oh yeah, yeah, and she's all sad because her dad's been murdered, mm-hmm. and she hates her stepmom, Phyllis, and she also points out that you know Phyllis was my real mother's nurse, Mm-hmm. And she says, "A few days before my dad was dead, I saw Phyllis at the house with a hat maker trying on a black hat, and she had a look in her eye, and I'd seen that look before just a few days before my mother died, while Phyllis was her nurse
2: well, and that she had they were they were out at a cabin at their uh, like a, in, like in the winter, like in the mountains or something yeah, and that it was very cold, and their mother had caught pneumonia and Phyllis was the nurse, and she went to see her mother one night, Yeah, and Phyllis wasn't there. All of the blankets were off her mother, and the windows were all open. Whoa! And so she goes to closing the windows and putting the blanket back on, and Phyllis walks in and sees this, and she see, that's when she sees the look in Phyllis's eyes. Yeah. The look of hatred and murder.
0: So this might not be Phyllis's first murder.
2: No. Which is one of the reasons why I think she was much more aware of the possibilities and more calculating than one of the reasons why yeah. i think she's more calculating than than she lets on sure um and i think later on there's some more evidence but i'll get to that when we get there
0: yeah i agree with you on that i'm saying neff made his decisions
2: i think neff i think she allowed neff to make decisions that she knew he would make yeah i think i think she knew the train stuff. I think she knew the double indemnity stuff. And I think she knew that Neff would pick up on that. All right. That's all I'm, Interesting. That's all I'm
0: saying. Interesting. Well, Neff goes to hanging out with Lola for like the whole weekend. He mentions that uh, he takes her out again on Sunday and this and that. So he's getting to know Lola. Mm-hmm. And she's going on and on about Nino Zakedi and how... She won't shut up about that guy. She Well, she's like they're, uh, they're basically broken up. Um, she's moved out of the house. Well, she's sort of run away from her own house, and she's just kind of staying in, her, in an apartment somewhere. Um, she hasn't seen Nino in a while. She hasn't been home to see Phyllis in a while, because she can't stand to be around her. Yeah. And uh, Neff sort of puts it together that Zucchetti and Phyllis are spending time together, and that is then confirmed, because Keys tells him, my boys have been... Spying on Phyllis's house.
2: She finally slipped up.
0: And this young man keeps showing up. And this young man uh, turns out to be this kid named Nino Zacchetti. Yep. So Neff gets the idea that he can probably pin his half. Well, Keith tells him that.
2: Keyes tells him that they've... Because he tells him when he first comes up with this idea... When Keith comes up with this idea that the woman is working with someone else. Phyllis is working with someone else. That they can't keep things a secret for too long, that eventually they'll meet back together. So when his guy sees Zacchetti going to her house four nights in a row, he goes, she slipped up, she's been meeting with the other guy. Yeah. So he tells him that they're going to pin this on Zacchetti.
0: Okay. I thought thought he had already put it together from what Lola told him. Maybe I'm combining the conversations. Yeah. But either way, Neff figures out if he can kill Lola, mm-hmm. Lola, no, Lola's the innocent teenage daughter.
2: Not Lola, yeah.
0: The gorgeous, innocent daughter. Phyllis. If he can kill Phyllis, she can't rat him out, and the police will assume Phyllis is guilty, and this guy, Zaketti is guilty, mm-hmm. because Zeketi's got a reputation in the toilet. So Neff, I'm pretty sure we're up to speed here. Neff goes to Phyllis's house one night. She knows he's on his way over.
2: Yeah, he calls her and says, I have to meet you. Don't worry about keys. It has to be tonight, 11 p.m. Yeah. Leave the door unlocked. Turn off all the lights so your neighbors don't see me.
0: Yeah. Then we see Phyllis Mm -hmm. in her nightgown turning off the lights, getting ready for Neff's arrival, and she hides a gun under the cushion of the chair she's going to be sitting in. Yep. So Neff's coming over to kill Phyllis, most likely. Mm-hmm. I really don't know what else he could be planning.
2: Well, yeah, he says there's not, there's only, there's only one thing left for me to do with her. Yeah. So yeah, because
0: he's, he's thinking about straight down the line and the end line. of the line and yep. how the end of the line is the cemetery.
2: So there's two ends of the line, right? It's the cemetery, right? Yeah. But he also talks about there's also talk about the gas chamber and that walk yeah. that walk to the gas chamber, which Ooh. we assume. Is there's a long a line. straight line to the gas chamber, yeah.
0: Um, and the there's mile. also the metaphor of usually a murder is committed by two people. And when two people go in on a murder, it's like they're stuck riding the same trolley car. And one mm. can't get off without the other getting off. Yep. And getting off has a lot of different meanings. <laughs> so Neff goes over. He and Phyllis are talking in the dark. It's sexy, it's angry. It's mysterious. Mm-hmm. She makes a comment about some, what, some window being open? Or uh, uh, she wants him to open a window so he, he, says, he can have he a says, cigarette.
2: Is there someone else here? And uh, and she goes, no. And he goes, well, what's that music? She says, oh, there's music be- playing down the street. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what's up with that. But um, the window's open so she can hear the music down the yeah.
0: street. Yeah. So he goes to close the
2: window then. He's like, I'm done with this music, is what he says.
0: Yeah. And literally just as he stands up and walks over to close the window, she gets the gun out from under her seat. And as he turns back to her, she just shoots him. Yep. And it's a classic 1940s shooting, so there's no blood. Nope. You don't even see a hole in his clothes. Nope. But he's clearly hot, uh, hit. He's shot. Yeah. And he sort of staggers against the wall, and he starts holding part of his chest. And... Uh, uh, what is it, he, he staggers back to her and she comes up to him and he he's says like, do it, like like, like, finish me off.
2: He didn't do it right, let me move closer. Yeah. And like, so he's like, feet from her and he's like, "Yeah, I he's close like, enough? Here,
0: can you get a better shot here? Am I close enough? Can you get a better shot? And she's like, oh no, because I realize now I'm in love with you and like, I I've never been in love with you this whole time until just now when I couldn't take that second shot. And he gets the gun away from her and he's holding her close and you know, they're trading all these horribly psychopathic -hmm. romantic ideas back and forth and he shoots her twice in the gut. Yep. He gets off the trolley. Yeah, he's off the trolley, all right. Lays her dead body out on the couch. Takes the gun with him, I think. It's kind of unclear. Yeah, Yeah, I think he has it with him. He staggers out of the house, limping, shot in the arm. Well kind of in the high chest. Yeah. And right as he comes out of the house and staggers into a bush. Zacchetti comes walking up to the house. Nino Zacchetti, young troublemaker, med school dropout. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, Neff's options are let Zacchetti go in and find the dead body and certainly have this whole thing pinned on Zacchetti. Yep. But instead, he says, Zacchetti, come here. Zacchetti, of course, being a jerk, is like, man, what do you want? Man, blah, blah, blah. Instead, Neff says, take this nickel. Go down to the drugstore. Call Lola. She really wants to hear from you. Because mm-hmm. Neff realizes he's about to die from this gunshot wound. Yeah. He might as well spare one innocent life. I mean, Zachetti's a jerk, but he's literally had nothing to do with these murders. Yeah. Although it does seem like he might have been stooping uh, uh, well, Phyllis. I was going to ask you that,
2: nights. like, what you thought Phyllis. Because he goes back four nights in a row. This is the fifth night in a row that he goes back to see Phyllis. Right. Um, and it, it's intimated that... She's been telling him that Lola doesn't want to have anything to do with him, that she doesn't love him anymore. Okay. Because he says that. And then and then he and then Neff says Never mind what what Phyllis says. Yeah. Talk to Lola because she still loves you. Um I and this is going back to sort of the nefariousness of um of Phyllis, Phyllis and why yeah. I think she's a lot more calculating is I think that Phyllis um was trying to seduce zachetti so that way she could convince him to kill Nef, and he's oh. yeah and sort of um Neff sort of implies that something similar is going on he's like yeah. you know oh you're gonna take care of first you take care of the nurse and then you got to take care of the husband and then you got to take care of the guy who takes care of the husband and then so on he's like then who's gonna take care of the next person. Right. You know, who's the next one in your list? So I think that was Zichetti, Okay, was the next one on the list.
0: I like the sound of that. Yeah. So zacchetti takes Neff's advice, takes the nickel, leaves. He's gotten away. He hasn't committed any crimes. Neff, shot, staggers all the way back to his office, mm-hmm. bleeding. We get caught up. We still don't see any blood at this point. Right. Uh, we get caught up to where the film started, him staggering into his office. Mm-hmm. He's still talking into the uh, wax cylinder recorder. There's a bunch of cylinders laid out now. He's been going on and on, filled up all these cylinders. And uh, keeps going, just telling the whole story, letting it all out, confessing. And then at one point he turns. Well, he says, Keys,
2: I want you to tell Lola before it breaks. And she finds out another way. I want you to to break it to her gently. And then that's when he hears something behind him and he turns around. I should probably go to my page of notes. Yeah, go to your notes, man. You get those for a reason. Come on. Give the program, Steve.
0: Yeah. There it is. So he turns, Keys, and uh, just some, I think it's just the night janitorial staff. I think at first glance it looks like Keys and the police.
2: Yeah, but it's a janitor.
0: But we realize, yeah, it's just Keys and the janitor. And uh, Keys comes in, and and Neff asks him, he's like, don't wrap me out just yet. I need four hours. Give me four hours. I can make it into Mexico. And then, sure, call the police on me. And uh, Keys is like, you haven't got four hours. Like, you're never going to make it to the border. Are you crazy? It's like, you're not going to make it to the elevator. Much you're not going to make water. the elevator, yeah. So Neff is like, oh, I'll make it. I'll make it. He staggers out of the office, limping. We finally see blood on his jacket after having been shot however many hours ago. And we're told
2: that there's blood.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's uh,
2: blood. The janitor found blood on the floor after you came in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's why Keyes showed up at the office. I think they mentioned it's like 4.30 in the morning at this point.
2: Yeah, he was like, is it the little man? And he's like, well, this time the little man was the janitor.
0: Yeah, called to tell me you dropped some blood on your way in here, something like that. Neff goes staggering out of the office, bleeding, shot. Who knows how long it's been since mm-hmm. he's been shot. Gets to the glass door and just falls flat on his butt. What is it? Uh, Keys comes out and joins him, and Neff's like, oh, who put the elevator So many miles away. I have to sneeze so bad right now. Oh man, Um,
2: so good for the the radio. Oh, it's
0: great to sneeze on microphone. Um, we're almost there. Neff's laying there. He's dying. Making jokes about the elevator being so far. Keys squats down over him. Uh, talks about how. What do they talk about? Does Keys say that he knew it was Neff? I don't think he ever does. No, but
2: Neff takes out the cigarette and uh, and. Puts it in his mouth and he tries to take out the match and light it. Neff says, a, "Which is a nice motif."
0: Neff says, uh, "You know why you never knew it was me? Because I was too close." And then, because earlier in the movie, yeah. Keys made some insult in some insult to Neff, yeah. and Neff replied with, "I love you too." And yeah. now, if I'm not mistaken, here, Neff says, "You didn't know it was me because I was too close," and I think then doesn't Keys say, "I love you too." Like I, a thought sort of he a, said,
2: I thought he said something else to the... And then maybe Neff says, I love you, yeah, too. And then Neff said... I think he said something about closer than you think or something like that. Or, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and then Neff says, I love you, too. And he takes the cigarette out and puts He's it in his mouth. He's
0: fished it out. He can't find a light.
2: He tries to light the cigarette or the match. So there's this motif throughout the entire thing where yeah. uh, people smoke nonstop in this movie. So much smoke. And Neff is always the one to light the flame yeah. for other people. And in his like last moments, he takes the cigarette out and he can't light the match himself. And so he, uh, Keys takes the match and
0: this time, Cheese it lights him. it for him. And then he dies. You don't, dies.
2: Actually, you don't actually see him die, but he dies.
0: Yeah, he just kind of like continues his slump to the floor. Yeah, as the blood continues to drain from his tall corpse.
2: That you know, originally it had a different ending.
0: Oh yeah, what was the original? Keys. Ending?
2: Keys watches him walk into the gas chamber and get executed. Whoa! In the original ending, that the, the walk in the straight line. Um, That's terrifying. Yeah, and uh, they realized that they wanted Keys to be really be at his
0: side. That's nice. When he died. Yeah. Yeah, because Keys is a fun character, and it's like it's clear that these dudes are friends. Yeah. Because um, you know you got uh, you got. Uh, uh, just all the back and forth and, and then and then he's wanting neff to basically become his right hand man even though it means a pay cut but it will put him higher up the ladder at the company and it's just you know it's it's kind of sad that here they are they're buddies they're co-workers but they're on opposite sides of this mystery and that's it folks uh the end you know paramount pictures uh double indemnity 1944 directed by billy wilder um I enjoyed watching it. I don't know that I'm in a hurry to sit through it again anytime soon. Right. Uh, I'm trying to think of which of these movies I am in a hurry to. Sit. I could watch. I've watched Career Opportunities a hundred times. I, I would watched, watch
2: Sunset Boulevard again.
0: I could watch Sunset Boulevard again for sure. That'd I could be, watch. I could I, probably watch The Apartment again. That'd be a I, fun I could watch The Apartment movie. again.
2: I could probably watch Sophie's Choice again. It's funny that Sophie's Choice and Sunset Boulevard are both. I mean, I, I have all these other movies I wanna.
0: Exactly. I There's a lot to... of other movies we need to get to first. Yeah, we have a full bucket for revisit any of these. So,
2: so we have a new a new bucket. Yes, for specifically for October. Can we call it the Halloween bucket? No. I mean, it's also a Muppet bucket. It's a different Muppet bucket. A
0: different Muppet bucket.
2: Yeah. So. Um, So, the October Muppet bucket is um, just horror films.
0: Yeah. We're
2: going to draw two movies now, and then at the end of the next podcast, we'll draw two more. And then then we're going to take all the rest of the movies that are in that bucket, and we're going to mix them into our regular bucket. So, we'll have some horror movies throughout so that maybe we'll get
0: to watch something that isn't 60 years old
2: yeah i mean there's some stuff in there that's not 60 years old but
0: we keep not drawing it. i know
2: i know well i mean it's not our
0: fault we're not choosing we're well, reaching in and pulling out randomly well, we're about we seem to seem to always get stuff from the 40s
2: well, we're about to guarantee fun exciting some somewhat horrific films for the um for the, the next month okay and uh, I guess we'll, we'll go ahead and say that um, we do have um, a potential special guest in uh, two podcasts. Do I know now. who this guest is? Yeah, we, we've discussed it briefly, but uh, um, we're not quite sure. I'm not quite sure how this is going to work. Um, either we're, I'm going to record an interview with him All right. ahead of time. Okay. Uh, which would probably be the smartest thing. Or we're going to just cram together on the couch. I, I, I have a feeling we'll probably record it his portion ahead of time. All right. But we'll talk more about that at the end of the next podcast.
0: Because at the end of the next podcast, we'll also have just talked about two movies.
2: Two more movies, yeah.
0: Which we have to pick right now. Let's do it. Let's draw it. Okay. Do you want to draw first, or should I nah, draw you first? you draw first. All right. I've got a very narrow strip of paper here. Ooh, uh, okay. This says, "The town that dreaded sundown." But there are two movies by that title.
2: We're going. I intended for the new one. Right on there.
0: now. So
2: we made a list that Steve knew about. I should. I should explain this. We made a list that Steve knew about which movies were going to go in there. And then I made a second list of movies that I know I had not ever seen before. I've seen this. I I I have not. And I have not. Um, And so I put that list also in there unbeknownst to Steve. So he did not know that The Town That Dreaded Sundown was going to be in there.
0: Lots of surprises for me. But, uh, yeah, I've seen this and I like it a lot. I've seen the first. I've seen this one. Great. I'd definitely rather watch the newer one. The first. Perfect. That's what we're watching. pretty silly. Fantastic. Um, are you going to draw? Right, yeah, let's do it. The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Now, when I watched this, it was on Netflix. So if you've got Netflix, check it out, because they might have the original and the new one on there.
2: All right. Oh, excellent. Okay, so this is this is going to be fun. This is a movie called The Depraved. The Depraved. Have you seen The Depraved?
0: I don't think I have. Uh, can you give me sort of a, a brief?
2: Well, The Depraved is... Uh... A movie starring my very good friend Nick Eversman, who you also oh yeah know. Nick
0: Eversman yeah so I first met him at Disneyland
2: yeah he's a good dude um I love that guy and I'm I, it's uh I got to go see this movie in the theater with him yeah. and uh, it's it's really really fun it's about um, a group of tourists urban exploring in uh in berlin
0: oh berlin yeah so they find all sorts of great stuff and
2: and um so they
0: spend some time riding on the metro uh
2: no time riding on the metro does
0: anyone take anyone's breath away
2: if murder counts it counts then yes sweet um so yeah it's uh it's it's a really fun film so i'm really excited that. um you know, some of our viewsters will be watching it.
1: Watch
0: The and, Depraved.
2: Um, and then we'll be talking about it. So please watch the new
0: Town That Dreaded Sundown. Right, from 2014, I believe. Yes, and
2: The Depraved starring New Coversman. So.
0: Watch those movies, and we'll be watching those movies. And you'll hear from us again in two-ish? Two weeks. Weeks-ish. Yeah. Um, I guess that's about it. That's it. I'm Happy... Uh, Upcoming October. Follow Wes on Twitter. Yep, at, at Movie Hippo. Movie Hippo and No Lag Gamers. Gamers, mm-hmm. please follow me on Twitter at Steve in No Ho Wood. Yeah, and that's it.
2: Thanks for listening. Bon Cinema. Mm.